Tom, are you ready to answer questions about what you were thinking at 2 o'clock in the morning a year ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone that's listening. This is part two of our Q&A. The first one happened right after we finished, and now this is happening over a year later. So we got your questions in from the fans. These are all fan-asked questions, and we're going to try to remember what just what David was saying, what we were thinking one year ago. She go on the record that most of those nights I was like three or four whiskeys in by the time we were making <laughs> yeah. any major decisions. David, were you drunk when you were making major decisions? Yes. I just want to open it up with that question. No, I was never drunk. I was uh, heavily buzzed. <laughs> heavily buzzed? I wouldn't say drunk. I was I've... definitely, I was definitely uh, altered. I had your video on. I don't remember really ever seeing you take any drinks. I was drinking. What do you mean? I, I mean, guess I just didn't know. Tom, you remember, right? I, I, remember I drank scotch most of the time. Yeah, I remember he, he had a, black, a bottle of Black Label one time. Johnny Walker yeah. Black Label. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I didn't think he would. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put this, our friends from Tales from the Lich, who literally don't start their game until they're all wasted, it wasn't quite that level. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Word was, too, most of the time. <laughs> no, that's just Word. He's, a, he's <laughs> my best friend, my best man, uh, but we're all a little weird. All right. Well, so we got questions in from the fans, and uh, we're just going to go through them. Some are addressed to one of us or all of us, and we'll start one that's uh, addressed to everyone. Do you miss sexy sax? Ugh, all the time. <laughs> I remember David, after you know he had been gone for a little bit, you're like, I miss Word. Word was funny. Yeah, I did. I, I, I enjoyed uh, that whole thing, that whole sexy sax you know, and you would try to get him to stop by saying, like, oh, Valerian looks really aggravated, and he's like, I keep playing. <laughs> he looks really mad. I keep playing sexy <laughs> I did kind of miss that after a while. When I was editing the episodes and listening back to them, I had heard, like, jokes and things that Word said that were gold, that none of yeah. us, we just all missed it, and it was hilarious. I'm like, how did we miss this? Half of the things he said we missed were just fantastically funny. Yeah, I kind of remember me and him having a back and forth about the man in white drives like a, a Cadillac, a yes. pink Cadillac, and was he called like him a, a pimp, a '70s pimp. I kind of remember that, and that'd be really funny. <laughs> I, I remember the button word would use to play it, and um, he shared the button with me, and it's still on my my dashboard on my computer. I, I I just never got rid of it. I kept it there. I guess that shows how often you clean things up. Ah, <laughs> funny, Dom. Oh dear. This, uh, uh, listener Rod Fleck has a question for you. What was it like to have Thaddeus killed off? There was a lot of time invested into the Thaddeus character and developing him. What was that experience like? Uh, it hurt. Um, I, I, I had made the decision that yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna serve the evil Rokusaki. Uh, but I kept like last minute hoping, oh, David's gonna blow this guy's brains out. We're gonna, we're gonna get out of here, and then. Uh, Caleb described my brains being blown out from behind me, and uh, it hurt. Um, the the neck, I, I the in between character between Thorn and Thaddeus, um, that was difficult. I I, I was kind of hmm. uh, the best way I can describe it is I, I was still high on Thaddeus, and hmm. I I wasn't sure where to go or what to do or or how to create a new character at that point quite yet because i was still so used to thaddeus so that that was difficult it 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 hurt david i see you smiling over there yeah i think thaddeus death hurt me more than it hurt (laughs) it was so unnecessary 
And even <laughs> hearing it like replayed out was just I don't get it. Because okay. he was just saying like, oh, I was hoping Dave would blow the guy's head off. Like just faint, like not having the faith to know, okay, we'll feign service and Dave will kill the Orokuzaki pretty quickly, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> Knowing that we weren't going to serve anybody. Who did I serve in the game? I would just say, okay, yeah, 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 that's what we'll do. And then I'd kill you. <laughs> that's what was going to happen, and that is what happened. And I wanted to, I was bummed out for the rest of the game because of that. Oh. I thought Thaddeus was, we needed Thaddeus. And if I had taken over as a Rokusaki and had Thaddeus, it would have went so much different. Uh, I agree. The game, I mean. It would have yeah. been such a different game with Thaddeus, with me running the north with Thaddeus sort of like, Jiminy Cricket. I think mm -hmm. it would have went better. I wouldn't have made as many mistakes. <laughs> so, just just for some background here, David and I have been having this discussion for a year now. <laughs> Whatever else we may forget about playing, him and I have been going back and forth on what the right decision was. And so, well, you know what? I think that even if that was a bad decision, you know, looking back on it, the hindsight thing, he had just been tortured messed up bad his 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 body was as his mind was as messed up as his body was at that moment yeah. so i can imagine that at that moment in time thaddeus as a character wasn't wasn't thinking completely straight and so he fell back to what he believed and what he believed was he needed to serve good and he had detected evil and orokusaki was pure evil which later on we, we later on we find out because he wanted to kill the entire world yeah well to everyone out there listening when you play your games uh you can do more good alive than <laughs> dead. So <laughs> martyring yourself is very noble for the moment in that moment of the game where you kind of get that feeling. But then remember that you, then that character no longer can affect mm. the game. And the yeah. proof was when we got tricked by the uh, whatever that guy was who said he could bring him back to life. Yes, yeah, so how Gannis. excited Dom got because Dom it just proved that Dom sort of regretted taking Thaddeus out of the game. I'm just going to say, Dom played the whole game better than I played it, but I thought that was his only misplay. I think yeah, he got caught up in the moment and was like, I'll never serve you, and then was like, oh, wait a minute, now he's not in the game anymore. So now, as, <laughs> now I have to play a character that serves him. Yeah, exactly. As, <laughs> and then you played. Hey, you know, uh, as, as, as much as losing Thaddeus hurt, I mean, it, it was kind of cool to play someone else, too. Um, and, and, and that was the challenge with Thorin is, trying to play someone different than Thaddeus, um, which which I, I, I ended up liking, actually. So, not, not a total loss. Maybe for David, but... <laughs> what, uh, this kind of goes into another question that I forgot to write who sent it, so I'm sorry about who sent it over there. But um, it said, how did you feel about killing off so much stuff? And mm. for me, one of my base um, lessons, motivations, uh, the way I learned how to do storytelling was from a game called StarCraft. And it was a brutal game. It would kill off main characters left and right. And when you finished that game, when you beat the game and its expansion, the bad guy won. The bad guy beat everybody. So I, I, I was, because of that and other motivations and other things I learned about storytelling as I grew up and other content I absorbed, for me, I thought that really makes a good game. And I was not happy, but I was very willing to, to kill people off if it was part of the story or if it happened to happen. Um, and, and we all can, can boo-hoo over Thaddeus being dead, but we had some awesome storylines that happened afterwards because Thaddeus wasn't there. 
things like you mentioned where you you were willing to resurrect Thaddeus and that so I think David you said maybe in the last Q&A I can't remember you said that so got in your head you just wanted Thaddeus back so bad that you couldn't see what was right in front of you that he was going to bring back the necromancer right like if I had had Thaddeus and a necromancer came Thaddeus would have been like no it doesn't matter what he says we can't right. mess with the necromancer you know that's what, right. I, that's what I mean but so you were so absorbed in that you brought right. him back and that allowed Anubricon yeah. and also allowed the whole thing that I think Setsuko, who I guess I can give up now, of course, some of her stuff was influenced by Kaiser. Some of it was her, I think. Many times people attribute too much of man's sinfulness to demons. Kaiser manipulated her, but certainly she was willing and she did a lot of things on her own. But what she had done was she tried to get rid of every friend you had. Thaddeus was gone. And the person who was kind of being your Thaddeus substitute, as imperfect as he could be, was Lightning. The re- she she was so willing, so badly wanted you to not have any more friends that she sacrificed the one person she loved in the world, not to kill you, but to kill Lightning, the Thaddeus representative. If Thaddeus wasn't there, it wouldn't have been as powerful. And all the friends that you lost was all part of that because Thaddeus had died and he was gone. And all that, I was cool killing off whoever I needed to. Like there was times when we just killed swaths of people when the um, when the robots came in, the uh, keepers, and they rinsed everyone. Uh, you lost Tassadar. Um, later on, we even lost Zeratul when he messed with the Black Book. And I'm just, if there's people need to be killed, if it's time in a story, lightning goes, lightning goes. It depends who goes left. I let you guys kill a ton of guys from the Empire. Uh, you, you lost um, Specialist Ramsey, Alex, who, by the way, I love Alex, and I hate that she's gone now. You lost a lot of people, so I'm, I'm totally willing. What do you guys think about in a storyline having so many people die? I would say that, that that's probably more of like a, a personal preference to how the you know the GM and how the players want to play. But for me, because I like that, and we kind of talked about this before the game even was created. You know, I think I lean more towards the action side of things than the intrigue and mm-hmm. sort of that kind of thing. If that's not obvious, if you listen to the game, so it it didn't bother me. I like the kind of fast paced. Uh, action and we were involved in serious conflict where if you're playing it real people will die if Mm -hmm. two nations are having a conflict or if we're sort of steamrolling through like we were so I had no problem with any of it I mean I felt like it kept the pace moving and it sort of kept everyone on their toes because you showed early on that like nothing was going to be out of bounds as far as taking characters out so Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you could feel like you could play with a certain person you might be like oh he's going to protect this character he just won't let us do it but you showed early on like everything was open play if we could Mm -hmm. create the scenario uh maybe except for valerian himself somebody was going to die so i thought that was pretty cool because it kept us in the dark about what the possibilities were yeah I, i i agree we i would love it if it was awesome and everything always went our way and none no one we wanted alive died and everyone we wanted dead did die but that's not not the real world that's not how things work and so i think it makes the game more realistic um opening up that possibility that anyone can go at any moment Mm -hmm. including player characters as dom knows twice exactly twice twice i can't prove it but i don't think he would have let us kill valerian no matter how well we planned it (laughs) i uh i think i told you feeling like valerian would have made it I may have told you off mic, but that's true. I said the two people who, I'll, no matter what happens, I'll GM intervention so it doesn't happen, Valerian and Mana, because I have very distinct plans of their end. They have an end in my mind. 
Mm -hmm. It's gonna happen. I don't think you told us that. Did he tell us that? I do remember telling you guys. He that. didn't. He told you that, not me that. Uh, I don't know that. Well, that's true. I would never. Those are. You're very right. But those are the only two that I had. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Uh, I I don't remember her name. You just said it. Um, Mana. No, no, the other chick that served Valerian. Oh, Alex. 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 Yeah, I was surprised that 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 she got the chop. I I was I, that was surprising to me. You guys planned it. Um, well, I knew she was going to go when she came to the north and was running her mouth like that. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's the end of her. <laughs> that's why I didn't uh, kill what's-his-name. What was his, uh, Valerian's assistant? Oh, Duran. Duran. See, that's why Duran lived, because he was very polite. I had a very psychopathic way of deciding who I wanted to take out. Not I don't know out. if you ever got to hear Duran's story, but Duran actually tried to assassinate Valerian's father, failed, and he was. A, I know that feeling. He's a changeling. That's why I said I always mentioned he never smiled. That's part of him being a changeling. He changes and he can't have. He doesn't have like the best control over everything, right. and and so like things that would make people smile it just doesn't matter because he's not really a human. Uh, but so he tried to kill Valerian's father, Arcturus. Arcturus stopped it. And he said, I already knew about this whole plan. And he goes, I actually want you because you're loyal. They got through this whole thing about Duran was not going to give out his employer. And he's like, you're loyal. You can work for me now. I spared your life. You work for me. And Duran had a sense of honor and said, okay. And Duran took the shape of the cupbearer who was the person who did the plot. So that Duran's look is actually the original cupbearer of Valerian's father. Nice. Then when Valerian, he, he, when he got in charge, he killed everybody that was the old regime he didn't want any corruption at all he killed everybody except duran and the senate he kept duran he around. wanted to be the only corrupt guy <laughs> well uh, the, the, we don't have to worry about the senate now so he liked yeah. duran because duran always disagreed with valerian and valerian learned in his past life it's good to have somebody always disagreeing in your ear in case maybe you are wrong about something yeah. but well i got a question for both of you two this was also sent by tim shapley what was the most difficult part of season one? And don't say Thaddeus' death. <laughs> so we were all, this whole thing was season one. What was the most difficult part? Well, playing-wise, I think it was the horned men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went yeah. up against before we were leveled up or equipped to really fight them. Uh -huh. Right? Yep, yep. And uh, then... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Keep going. And then, not, not uh, technical playing, but storyline-wise, I guess it was like, uh, you know, when... when I became the Oroku Saki, and things started like escalating really fast, and there was just so much going on at once that it was hard to even keep track of what uh, we were supposed to be doing. Uh, and it, the game just totally spun off from that point on into a whole. It felt like a whole separate game. Where I, I enjoyed it, but I kind of look back at it like if we hadn't have done that, the game would have, I think, stayed more in that classic sense of you know a small group sort of questing and instead it turned into a whole other animal which wasn't bad but it was definitely difficult as a gm it i had to make sure to put in times where you could go back to being a small group like when you went back in time part of that was story but part of that was i needed these guys to be just you two going out have a couple combat encounters not be able to say all right calling all the Lin Kuei, all the stand back because yeah. i knew after a while you get some sort of fatigue almost like mental fatigue so i tried to give that to you guys once in a while because i did recognize that as well yeah for a while i was thinking about i never did it but i was thinking about early on like ah this wasn't as good as i thought it was going to be and i was thinking <laughs> about like sneaking away in the middle of the night 
and just heading like off to try to find a new way home. And, and that is kind of what you were going to do. That was your plan. Bring back Thaddeus, then you, Thorn, and Thaddeus just go. Yeah, and like leave a letter like right. uh, you guys are in charge of yourselves. I'll yeah, matter of fact, it. David wrote a letter that never got into the game that essentially was, you guys, I, you're the most honorable people I ever met. And my only command now is that you have no more Rokusakis that you guys choose for yourself. That was like your only thing. And you were going to leave that letter if ever the time came up. But then instead, of course, instead of Thaddeus and Nubricon came back. And even like that was Lightning's downfall. He tried to do that as well. When he went to go see Suko, he was like saying, let's just go. Yeah. Let's just go. But Suko was gone. Was that was late. my plan. About you, Dom, what was the hardest part? Well, I can certainly say the easiest part was when David was a Rokusaki. That was that was great for me. I loved it. <laughs> uh, again, player-wise, the hardest part was probably the Hornmen. If I could just pick one instance throughout the whole season one, uh, fighting the Hornmen was brutal. Um, but uh, as I think a close second would probably have been fighting um, Freddy. Uh, he. Uh, he racked my mind. I, I had no I, I mean, as Thaddeus, playing Thaddeus, I had no idea how to beat this guy. I just, no clue. Sure. And so, I, I'd never seen the movies. I'd, I had no background information whatsoever. I had just no clue how to beat him. And and that, that was scary. The, having an enemy where nothing I could do would touch him. And if you remember being a kid of the 80s, I went Dream Warriors on him and whooped him. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. Freddy wasn't even a challenge. Um, that's a hard thing to do as a GM to try to actually get your players to feel a little bit scared or at least make sure that their characters feel scared and so be like, oh, I'm kill everything. I think it's probably the most difficult time I have with David as he is trying to get him to feel the way I think his character should feel. He just shoots everything. Right. Um, but I think Freddy was a success on that. Even though David just made that joke, I think there was a point where you, you were at least, maybe if you weren't afraid, you at least said, you at least appreciated the danger. Right, but I, I think the other side of it was that counteracted what you're saying is when you had me going up against characters that I'm not familiar with, never having played one of these kind of games before, so like a lich or something, you actually put me up against a character I was very familiar with, right. understood his strengths and weaknesses. You know, I thought Freddy was actually like a, a, a breath of fresh air because I was like, okay, here's a bad guy fully grasped mm -hmm. and how it works. You know what I mean? Right. Actually, was ex that was the first enemy I was excited <laughs> like I couldn't wait to the next week because I knew exactly what I wanted to do that's true, I think you said it was the first time you thought about the game and playing something outside yeah. of the game yeah and that's when I did the whole uh, uh, Mortal Kombat stuff on him which by the way was one of the other things I was thought about but didn't end up doing one of the creatures to come in from your world was you're going to be whisked away to a Mortal Kombat tournament I was going to make Scorpion and Sub-Zero and have you fight them nice. but I just for whatever reason that uh, that didn't happen David, why did you pick your character to be yourself? That was sent in by Tim Shapley. Um, because of never having played this type of game before, and quite honestly, just not hating the idea of being some sort of elf. Or uh, you know, I, I the only thing in the genre of this that I enjoyed was I read The Lord of the Rings years ago and really enjoyed it, but I've never wanted to do uh play a fantasy game where i pretend to be some sort of elf or anything like that i couldn't imagine myself playing any other character so uh, for everyone out there caleb and i spoke before the game started and i said i will play myself uh if i die then 
I'll just stop. I won't even be another character. And also, I think Caleb and I both agree we both love uh, Army of Darkness, and it's such a funny yeah. concept and an entertaining concept about just taking a modern guy who's not even anything special and dropping him in this world and making him sort of like a key component in you know, saving this world, but he sort of just like works at Walmart. You know what I mean? Right. I thought that was a great idea and funny. And, and, and not just funny, but would also be good, so... Once I got that idea in my mind, I was like, no, we got you know, to do it like that. And it was the only way I could play it realistically. It was, okay, then I'll be me. How more realistic can you get? For those of you who've listened to any of our ads, and you think, yeah, David's a little monotone on those ad readings. Getting David to do anything, he's just not a natural actor. <laughs> right. You wouldn't have enjoyed me being like an elf or a dwarf or something like that. It would have been very uh, unnatural. So I was just me. I can't play me wrong. Right. Here's one of my favorite questions, also sent in by Tim. Any advice for people who may play with Caleb in the future? <laughs> Don't try to blackmail him. Don't try to blackmail his characters. Don't do it. Why do you very, say that? Very bad option. Very bad option. What happened that makes you say that? Uh, I just I remember one distinct moment where I... Uh, I was um, playing as Thaddeus, and Valerian was trying to get us to go do the dragon mission and, and try to get all the dragons back to the nest. And I said, okay, we'll go for you, but you got to give these guys their citizenship. And I started ha trying to haggle with him. Mm -hmm. Bad option. Very bad if, if if Caleb, if, if you think Caleb's leading you along in a, in a direction, don't fight the hook. The hook's just going to get slammed into your mouth. Don't do it. I remember that, especially that was Valerian. Valerian did not uh, like this little peasant trying to haggle with him. Yeah, David. Uh, I would just say, uh, I mean, you do give us, you give your players a wide berth. So then I would say that's probably why you're so. Uh, if people try to push beyond the wide borders you've already given them, then yeah. I can see why you you'll slam a door shut. So I would say, you know, just learning what those boundaries are, which are wide boundaries, then mm -hmm. don't become like a pain in the neck where you're constantly trying to push the envelope of, you know, getting on the technical side of things of we used to joke about it like can the dragon fit in the castle and like that kind of silliness. <laughs> you didn't seem to have a lot of patience for that <laughs> sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But as far as the other thing goes, it's good because you really let us drive the story. You're not forcing us in a linear path yeah. storyline. You're letting us drive the story. So I can see why then you have zero patience for us. Okay, now we want to go beyond that and start to nitpick every little you know boundary. There has to be some boundary. So I would say you know anyone that plays with Caleb, you know once you agree to the parameters before the game starts, uh, you know enjoy the wide berth he gives you, but don't. Don't try to push the envelope with you know uh, all the technical stuff and, and things like that because then he'll he'll hurt you. Yeah, and and I remember a lot of the times right right before I'm not sure if much of it made it into the to the season. Um, right before we would start playing, Caleb would complain and tell us because he he would hear David and I plotting and planning, and he said, "Now I have to throw everything out." <laughs> and, right, right. And, and that that happened countless times. And so Caleb, as a as a as a GM, will give you an absolutely a wide berth. He'll let you go off, do what you got to do. Um, just don't 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 try and string him along. It, it doesn't work. Don't cheat. <laughs> yes. Or get Dom. TPK. TPK is coming. <laughs> oh, TPK what? I'm supposed to use the second smaller number for my attack? Yes, you are. 
He'll TPK you in like the second session. And 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 he will not face him. I promise you. It, he'll do it, and it's okay. We'll new characters. Rory Proventure asks David and Dom if you guys were to make characters now, what would they be? David, you kind of just talked about how you weren't really willing to make <laughs> another character. But in a sense, I would. So I would come back in the game. If we were, st if Caleb keeps this world going, I would come back in the game as myself again. But I think, in a sense, it would be a new character because now I'd be playing myself with the experience of the, you know, mm -hmm. trans-dimensional or inner-world play, whatever you want to call it. So clearly, I would be a changed person, mm -hmm. and so I think a second coming of Dave into those worlds would uh, <laughs> would be different than the first time around. In a sense, I'd have to play it like truthfully like okay now that i've had all these experience jumping between these two worlds obviously I, I would have to play it different but i would still only play myself but i would play myself as that experienced uh person okay. dumb uh, i i don't know in in the game itself i mean now that david's gone you have two groups you have the empire and um you have the lin kuei who have the lin kuei has new leadership new plans Whereas the Empire, I mean, I don't know. And so I would love to take another round with Thorin and see, see how that plays out. Because now he, what held him to the Lin Kuei is gone. And so he's kind of out there now. Both the father, his father and Orokasaki yeah. are gone. But yeah. if you're going to make a brand new character, what brand would you new. do? Uh, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably go Dwarf. I'd go Dwarf on you. I, I, I want to try, try my hand on the Dwarf. It's probably the least explored part of my world is Atlantis with the merfolk and the dwarven guilds. There you go. I'd be a merfolk that lives at the bottom of the ocean and doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, no, no one bothers you. No one can get to me and I can't get to anybody. That'd be a fun game. Who's that? That's old man Cohen. Leave him alone. Kind of uh, banking off of what you were just talking about, about giving a wide berth, Rory Preventure also asks... Uh, how much of the campaign was planned ahead of time as opposed to made up on the fly? I'm thinking Setsuko was never meant to play the huge role she did. I talk about, if you really want to get an in-depth answer, because actually you two guys asked this question, like the second to last episode, uh, you asked this question, and you can listen to the last three episodes of our 200 series on Pathfinder Academy where we talk about storytelling tips. Um, I forget what the other two episodes are called, like uh, how to run a session. I forget what it is, but the last three episodes all kind of fit that and they give you in-depth GMing philosophies. But I will say that I generally, to give you like a little summary, I generally have like big moments that I want to get to, right? And then I kind of let you guys do the micro part of the game. I'll do the macro. I'll come up with the two big moments. You need to get a, get a vision from the man in white and you need to go kill the lich. And then I'll let you guys have it. And then I'll, I'll, I might have like a, a couple of little ones in there that I'll throw away if it doesn't happen. Like, okay, I want you to talk to Valerian. And then if you don't get there, there may be another way we'll get you to the lich or have a way you choose to do it. But I kind of want you to go to Valerian so if that happens, I have a plan. I'm not just trying to improvise, improvise everything that comes up. But like you were saying, I give you guys so much control that if you were like super against going to the lich, like just really, really, really did not want to do it, I'm not going to push it on you. I'm like, okay, they want to do something else. So that gets improvisation if that happens in the middle of an episode. If in the middle of the episode something changes, i got to improvise pretty much the rest of that episode. And then I can go back to the drawing board in between episodes, knowing what you want to do now. And that's generally how I, I do the game. But like as time goes on and things change, like Setsuko, originally was just planned to be an innocent girl to pick up, and I always thought it would be an interesting wrench to throw in and see what would happen. 
And then as time went on, I got the idea of, you know, based off of your actions, that she was going to become mentally unstable because she was young and she had all this trauma. And after all this happening, later on, as time went on, you guys had made more decisions and you were becoming the Oroku Saki and all that. Then I thought, okay, yada, 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 next for Setsuko. So for Setsuko, yeah, she was never meant to be what she became. But I think it was a real result of the player's actions. And that happens all throughout the, in, the entire thing. And sometimes we get just, like, fantastically entertaining characters. Like, the shopkeeper wasn't supposed to be anything special. And I didn't even come up with a shopkeeper beforehand. And then you guys came up with him. And then it was, yes, how can I help you? And then we had him, and I hated him, and you guys loved him. Things like that happen. I never, ever meant for Alex to die. I never had it planned, but it happened because it was part of their thing. So, yeah, it's 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 tough, but... I'd rather do it that way than try to pigeonhole everybody. It's not my style. I mean, I, I can't remember a ton of times where David and I tried to plan things. I remember one time that, that God be praised, Caleb was running late for the first time ever. He was five <laughs> minutes late. He had to go do something. And so that gave David and I an untouched five minutes. So, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah. And, and we made a decision, and... Caleb got there, and, and he said, well, were you two planning? I don't like this. I don't like this at all. <laughs> and, and really, that was because we were sort of handcuffed because of the way we played. We played such yeah. short sessions late at night yeah. that, you know, really the way you should do that is obviously in-game. Out of game, it's kind of cheating in a way yeah. to have strategy sessions. Uh, so it was kind of like we didn't want to waste a lot of time in-game just sitting around a campfire planning when we knew we only had so much time to play. So I guess... Mm -hmm. You know, if we had had fuller sessions, we probably would have done more uh, thinking about it instead of just leaping without looking. But I think in a way that made the game fun, that it was so fast-paced because of yes. we knew we were in short sessions. And so we just were like kind of like, yeah, 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 let's get to the castle. And we never really smelled the roses a lot of times, which was <laughs> yeah. good and bad. Yeah. I just remembered something kind of illustrates how I, I, I try to plan things. Like there was a point where I needed the whole Thunder Rod thing with Orokusaki, or at the time Eric Sachs, to happen. And I just, when, I, when we started the session, I'm like, I don't know how it's going to happen. But I'm going to see if I can get it to happen at some point. Maybe it'll take two episodes, I don't know. And then you guys are like, let's go look on the bounty boards. And then I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to happen. That, I think that kind of creates, you'll have to answer if this is true or not, Like almost like an illegitimate vision of choice. You think there's an illusion of choice there, like, oh, if we didn't go and look at the bounty board, we wouldn't have gotten this whole weird side quest with Eric Sachs, but it really was intended at some point to get you there. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think I kind of knew that. I think we knew pretty quick that the Orokusaki line was a serious storyline, and that one way or another, I think we even asked you that. And okay. I think you answered it. Like, one way or another, you would have got us there, you know. But that was one of those scenarios where I thought we would have done that. So, like, when, when we got hot, when I was the Emperor's uh, advisor. advisor, and we were just kind of living in the city, uh, I thought, you know, that was the time we could have smelled the roses. Like, instead of immediately getting back into a major storyline, we could have just, like, hung in the city and, um, you know, probably could have had a lot of little side quests, little storylines there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it and, happened, and, it happened. And if you remember, that there was some. I mean, we had the, the orphanage, Mana's orphanage that we went to. Uh, Thor, uh, uh, Thaddeus was constantly going to the archives and the library. Uh, Wasn't word like stalking a girl or something yep, like that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there was some ties that ended up coming into the big one. Like, And then some things that you just 
didn't hit with. We talked about it earlier. There's some things like the cat folk, the go catch the person that had been their former master. You just didn't mm-hmm. do. It couldn't happen. Could have been a side quest. You didn't want to do it. And everyone was like, I don't want to marry anybody. And then there was see, look, see, you complain about Thaddeus now. Uh, then there was times where <laughs> you thought like a side quest, just talking to Mana's orphanage and stuff. That starts out as a side quest, and later on, as I see you guys do more of it, I think, how can I incorporate this? Oh, and then we have a big scene with the Lin Kuei at the orphanage. Let's burn them all down. It just kind of you give you gave me something. You gave That's me tools. That's when Roku got himself killed. <laughs> <laughs> it was just water, David. Me and Roku could have been boys if you played it right. Just talk. All you wanted to do with him was talk. That's right. Oh, something I I forever wanted to mention this it's kind of irrelevant now but you guys made a perception check when you were walking in antioch and you were going up to the stronghold and i'm like you didn't you failed it what you were supposed to see was that the field the ground instead of grass was covered in hemlock uh. it's supposed to be like a random thing it was just kind of give like kind of like this whole place is deadly forget about it but the reason i mentioned that is because i thought and i don't think any of the listeners know this we have I give my players one question that they can agree on all together, one metagame question at the end of each session. And I don't put those in the episodes. So sometimes I think maybe this next season I'll put it in the episode because I think sometimes you know things now after that question that kind of fit in that the player, that the listeners are like, how did they determine this? Mm. Like one thing was the shopkeeper. In are game, you accusing us of metagaming? <laughs> in game, <laughs> you gave plenty of good reasons of why you were suspicious of the shopkeeper who ended up being the person who spread the plague an agent for the empire but i think that conclusion came so quickly and the listeners were like why are they so worried about this guy what they didn't know was like two sessions earlier you asked metagame and i answered the question so i might add that was the question Hmm? what was the question that you answered that the shopkeep was the guy yeah you said yeah you were like is there anything wrong with the shopkeep we're suspicious just let us know and i said yes he's so the- clearly we were already suspicious yeah you were already suspicious, suspicious. <laughs> like, i knew this i knew you'd be defensive so, i tried to start this with there was plenty of in-game reasons but i think there was enough of a disconnect that the listeners are kind of like, we already knew that weird. the plague was connected to the empire in general sure yeah and 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 th- this kind of this discussion here goes to show the the, the danger of metagame questions i i love them personally but you just got to be careful because it, it opens the door to possible metagaming. As David so. rolls his eyes. Right, so at the end of the day, it's all Caleb's fault. <laughs> yep, mostly. Why does he let us ask that question and then expect <laughs> us to somehow forget the answer he tells us? Moving on. How do we define good? It's all God's fault. Jeez. Oh, here's an interesting one for you two. How did you, and this is from Tim Shapley, how did you two enjoy the Christian themes within season one? Hated it. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. Thaddeus, Thaddeus was... I, I told Caleb kind of at the beginning I didn't really feel comfortable. I mean, I, I wanted to play a, 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 a fighter-type character, but I didn't feel comfortable picking another deity outside my own. And Caleb wonderfully kind of worked that into the game for me, and I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm grateful. I ended up making a whole set of rules so that mm-hmm. any, if anybody who would play Pathfinder could take it to worship the one true God. Because you can't just add a deity. You have to give them domains and all this other crap. Yeah. I found it a little bit uh, perplexing at times because of just the whole concept of, again, it's kind of the in-between of saying, okay, you are on, you know, we're in this world, Earth, and all of a sudden I just get portaled to some other world that, does, that, that you know, there's nothing in the Bible about uh, interdimensional travel right. or, par- you know, parallel dimensional world, and yet everyone sort of 
um, was all over me right from the get-go. Like, how can you do that? Like, you know, a Christian doesn't do something like this or do something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you know, what what book talks about how to behave in interdimensional parallel universes? <laughs> so, like, again, I was trying to play it real. Like, if that really happened to me, it's not that I wouldn't believe in God or think God wasn't real, but I'm kind of going, you know, all bets are off. Like, this isn't like, well, how do I apply the Ten Commandments to this world? I was like, zoom into a world where there's demons and everything's trying to kill you. So quickly, I was like, realistically, I'm like, okay, since uh, I don't know what any of this stuff is, and so far 90% of it has tried to kill me, I would say killing is fully, <laughs> I'm not in a murder situation anymore. This is purely self-defense. But then even in this world, I think it would be a bummer, even if you're a Christian, to roll around with like a monk like Thaddeus, <laughs> even though I kind of got used to it. And he sort of became a good, like, leveler. I thought I played that real because, again, I think if you were being honest with yourself, even if you're a religious person, if something like that happened, you would be like, okay, all bets are off until, we, you know, we get back to, especially well, if everything was, like, trying to kill you immediately. Welcome to the 12th century, baby. Right, it wasn't like I went back in time. Yeah. Went to a different world, so everyone mm -hmm. has to keep that in mind. Going back in time would have been a different situation. Mm -hmm. For, I didn't kill everything when we went back to Egypt. It's true. You didn't have well. well there was the record show. There was an we angel killing everything for you. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's not but like I, think, I don't I know. Think you get my point though, right? Sure. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. So when people were when we had that whole ridiculous argument about the blood golem, mm -hmm. you know, killing this whatever demon thing, I was like, oh, it had a soul now. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know the rules of when <laughs> demons get souls. Right. Right. You know what? What? What book and chapter is that covered in? That part of that, that was part of the reason for the whole um, Brom put you in that uh, trance where you had a, a courtroom and you were on trial. Part of that was just because I thought it was interesting and fun, and I, and I heard something similar in Tales from the Lich uh, back when I was selfie speaking Sanskrit, and I loved it, and I kind of incorporated it here. And the second reason, which maybe even be the more reason, was I wanted David to have an opportunity to convey that without what just happened now. Him yeah. just saying, hey, players, I wanted to explain something to you. Having that trial, I thought, was a better way. Yeah, and, and so I thought I played it real, but if that didn't come across, you know, as a religious person who believes in God and who goes to church every week, I wouldn't go around this world murdering everybody. Right. But I, I really felt like if something like that happened, I mean, you would have to be crazy to just be like, oh, no, I'll just turn the other cheek and let the dragon blow fire on me. I mean, it's just, it was madness. <laughs> and even in the trial, you were like, you know what? Some of those things I did do were wrong. All right. I'm sorry. I'm a little confused here. It's my first time in another world. Excuse me for a couple of mistakes I made. You made that everything wasn't perfect. And that's what we're right. humans as, as Christian mm -hmm. or not, we are imperfect. And you even mentioned like, I need Thaddeus to help level me out. It's just different things like that. You're not saying that you did everything perfectly and it's exactly the way any Christian should uh, behave, but you had a mentality of how you went into it and you tried yeah. to stay true to that. For me, m as a Christian who fully believes in the scriptures, I just was like, what if they're just, just going to assume they're real? And what happens if this world exists and I assume that the Bible is real? If I assume these two things are true, what could happen? And so instead of having like the whole, there's like a whole like almost like mythology of angels and demons that they're fighting on this plane forever. You know what I mean? All these different things that uh, you would see all sorts of drawings maybe if you were to a Catholic church or something like that. Or, or art that's inspired by people who would be Catholics uh, maybe uh, back a couple centuries ago. Uh, I didn't want that. I wanted just if it was real. And that was trying to, we don't have a ton of information on demons and angels in the Bible. Uh, probably for a reason. And I just wanted to, if it was real and if they'd come over, what would they do? And what if in this world, in this new world, there wasn't a judgment day? 
And then I, I just went on with that. And that was my, my full intention, was just to try to do it that way. I didn't need to have an overtly I didn't religious symbolism. As much as I love the Narnia series and Lord of the Rings, I didn't want to put any overt, we need a Jesus character, and I need to do this, I need to share the gospel. I just assumed it was real and just kind of let it on. And just have that the demons were the main villains, what would happen. And a couple times, I mean, the scariest thing is to have to play God. A couple times I had to do that when Satsuka was going to die of the poison. She was going to die. I was fully willing to let her die. And then Thaddeus said, I pray over her every day. And I said, you know what? God's going to sustain her because of that. A couple of things like that happened. And I think part of it was, David, you as being probably the only, one of the only adopted children of God in that world, you had some special presence where he'd follow you and he would take care of you in different times, such as when you all died to the lich, an angel came down and resurrected you from the dead. Angels surrounded you as Setsuko saw in the vision after you were exhausted after beating Freddy to protect you. And I think, I'm not sure if I told you or not, but there was a time when that protection was kind of lifted. God was still there, of course, but his protection was gone. And that's when you made everyone kneel. Yeah, I remember that. In my you opinion, told us that. in you my told opinion, that. God was kind of like, okay, well, if you if you have people kneeling to you, I guess you don't have to kneel to me. That's cool. Just let me know next time you want to fix that. I'll come back to you and I'll help well, you again, out. Well, again, Thaddeus' job in the North was going <laughs> to be. Remember, we talked no, no, about no, no, this no, no, to no, Christianize the North. Don't blame Thaddeus for you blowing this guy's <laughs> yeah, head out in he the middle of a pile. Like spiritual advisor, he probably would have stopped Day me from peace. doing that. Put the, by, by the way. Setsuko, no one, no one can accuse me of just making Setsuko bad for no reason. Even when she finally was like started to recover in the party, David goes and shoots somebody. All right, it's not all my fault. Hey, and I just want to point out, it was a day of peace. That was an extra. <laughs> it was a day of peace. That was an extra. Fairground. And then but anyway, what is my point of all that was not to accuse anybody's actions or anything like that, but just to be like, this is. I, I tried to play God as if he was real and things that he might do. And when you, in my opinion, turned back to God. Towards the end, he blessed you, gave you holy weapons, and I prayed right before we went up against. Right, and his divine the, grace the, followed you into that final encounter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can uh, I add one more thing to it, sure. just to let people know where my thought was? Also, if you go way back to the early episodes when we were debating about who the man in white even was, yeah. Early on, we were pretty sure he was either an agent of God or an agent of like the devil tricking us and so it was kind of like a coin flip and i think at some point probably pretty early on i just decided to trust that he was mm -hmm. good and i remember saying that to the rest of the party like he hasn't really done anything to mislead us or and so i think in my mind i started to feel like i was justified in what i was doing because like he didn't bring me here not to kill stuff he brought me here and like the only thing he told us to do was kill stuff <laughs> and so i felt like justified in like okay we're going to cut down this path, and anything that stands in our way is obviously working If you and I him. gathered an army to go kill, I don't know, a bunch of people in Asia, it would be a horrendous sin. But there's Absolutely. Old Testament where God said, hey, you go kill these people. It was God-ordained. So almost I think what you're saying here is like God said, hey, you kill the lich. Everything that's in there, I don't care. You have my order. No, but I also felt like, and if you can go back, listen to the episodes, you'll hear me say this. I also felt like anything that stood in our way mm -hmm. was then going against really the man in white. And so therefore I felt justified in basically anything that came against us, I felt like was then this was like a true good versus evil thing and it had to be evil to stand in our way. So let's just, I remember saying this to everyone, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and have these debates. If it gets in our way, it's going down. If it doesn't want to die, it will move. And, and, and that, <laughs> that, that was the distinction Thaddeus refused to make. Uh, I, 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 Thaddeus 
didn't really think it out as well as David did. I think I didn't I didn't think it out as well uh, because I, I I thought for the longest time this guy in white's a bad guy. But what choice do I have? Mm. What, where 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 am I gonna go? Um, <clears throat> it was meant to be ambiguous. I yeah. didn't want to feed you guys like you were babies. Right. Here's a story. Yeah. He's a good guy. I wanted you to guys try to figure it out on your own. Approach. And yeah. Thaddeus wasn't. To me, it yeah. was like we're going to Jericho and everything's got to go. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, and 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 again, Thaddeus just wouldn't. And and this again, this can go right back to the debate of whether I should have let Thaddeus die or not. I mean, as a character, I had to play Thaddeus as the character he was. I couldn't just automatically. Oh no, uh, I, he he's the kind of guy who just wouldn't give up his convictions. Mm-hmm. So he was a zealot. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's a, that's I think I was order. also being a zealot in that way of thinking. That's a zealot way of thinking too. Like mm-hmm. God sent me on this mission, and I will clear the path. Right. It's funny how you both were Christians and had these different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, the two last things I want to say about this question is one, I it was a very conscious decision not to have the devil involved at all. Is, is Lucifer involved at all? I thought it was just like because too many people I think put him as almost as if like he's fighting God and they're on equal footing and who's gonna win, right? He's just, right. he's just another demon who's the one that started it all, right? Kind of the demon in charge. And so I kind of wanted to have a just a new random demon that I think Dom caught on that he was one of the people that was in Le- one of the demons that was in Legion in scriptures. Um, just as just have him. He, he's like, hey, now I can be the new top dog in charge. Mm. It was a conscious decision. I didn't want to have the devil back involved. I'm uh, glad you did. That wouldn't have been that would have been kind of corny in a way. <laughs> and, and and you know I remember. Kaiser Soze, at one point, in the beautiful German accent that you do, Caleb. Thanks. Um, My apologies uh, to all our German listeners. <laughs> saying, uh, here there is no prince or the power of the air. The position is open, and I, and I intend to apply for the job. Mm-hmm. And so that at that point, for me, that was a game changer. When, I, hmm. when as a player I heard that, that, that kind of threw a lot of the things out the window. Hmm. I, I kind of knew where I stood at that point. As a player, not as a not as a character. The last thing I want to talk about this issue was I wanted to make a podcast that Christians could listen to unabashedly. Uh, you still make the thing of maybe you don't want to have a violent TV show or podcast on around your children, but the point is an adult Christian can listen to it and not go, oh, I got to fast forward through the sex part or for whatever part, whatever thing. I wanted to make something that a Christian could listen to, whether or not these Christian things, such as demons and things, were in it. I wanted to make a podcast that I would be proud to say, hey, dad, listen to it. My dad's a pastor. Hey, dad, listen to it. And I wouldn't be ashamed like, oh, I hope it doesn't get to that part. And I tried to accomplish that. I don't know if I did or did not, but that was my um, one well, of my he wouldn't like it, but for other reasons. Right. <laughs> not for moral things. I don't think it's his cup of tea. Dom, Tim was asking this directly to you for some reason. What was your favorite yeah. character and why? Of the three? No, um, just his favorite character of everybody, I guess. Favorite character in the whole thing. Um, you know, I, I think my favorite character would probably have to be um, what's his name? I know who he is. I just don't remember his name. It, it was the tree guy, Rothred. Rothred. Uh, he was great. You uh, liked him? Yeah, the, the font of wisdom that he was. Um, I, I, and and the regretful thing is, that I wish I had gotten a chance to talk to him more. I, I think him hmm. and Thaddeus would have gotten along great. Um, but I, I liked Ralfred a lot. Yeah. Okay. C- conversely, hindsight's twenty twenty. But if I if I could have let Setsuko die, I think that <laughs> the one decision I, I as Thaddeus I probably would have made different. 
Imagine what could have happened different if Setsuko was still if, if right? Thaddeus was alive with Setsuko. With Imagine if Thaddeus was still alive with Setsuko. What what would have happened? You think? It's an interesting uh, question. It wouldn't have. A lot of that wouldn't have happened because I wouldn't have been trying to take care of her. Thaddeus would have been taking care mm -hmm. of her, and then a lot of stuff she got mad about wouldn't have happened. And of all the things that she got mad about, a lot of it's just like. I'm an imperfect father. Even if you were her biological father, it's just like she was just holding you to an impossible standard. But none of that would have happened. But you, you were just trying to genuinely love her. Yeah. That was yeah. all you were trying to do. As yeah. many of you made mistakes, I don't think there was any bad motivation ever for you when you were trying to take care of Setsuko. I, I, I just remember Malpass, though. Uh, all the king's horses and all the king's men uh, can't put Setsuko back can't together Setsuko again. Setsuko back together again. Um, and and I don't remember if he said that before or after. It was before she left you guys, I think. Okay. Because it was after she she had captured a bunch of guys to get her party back. Yeah. Yeah. She had she left him there with you, and you guys were talking to him, and he was like saying he was trying to like give a big secret to David. And David's like, "What is it?" And he goes, "You can't fix Setsuko because you're broken." And David's like, "That's your big secret. I'm broken. <laughs> what a revelation! Thanks a lot." <laughs> but I do like that line of his. As I hold up my metal arm. Yeah. yeah. I do like that revelation of his that all of the Rokusaki's men and all of his horses couldn't put Setsuko back together again. Yeah. but And, and again, I, I just... If Thaddeus was there, I'd like to think a difference would be made. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the reality is that... Set, I mean, again, you, you said it perfectly, Caleb. No matter what Caleb could have done... There, there, at some point, there, Setsuka was making her own decisions. She, 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 a, as a, as a character in the game, what? No one forced her mm -hmm. to go um, round up a posse and and get all those people back. No one forced her to uh, kill her boyfriend or send her boyfriend to a certain death. Where I, mm -hmm. I put her, put his head on a pike. Mm -hmm. She, she, she was making her own decisions. So I, I don't think you can. Any of us can blame ourselves or each other for what happened it's a combination everybody played a part including yeah. kaiser absolutely i agree I and agree. that was i think you just brought up a scene where it makes me think of one thing that i did kind of try to force didn't give you a lot of leeway is i really wanted the party to happen really badly and one of the things happened was like david canceled it and he said i'll put it back on if you capture every prisoner i did not intend to capture every prisoner very quickly but I was like, that's the only way to get the party. So I guess Setsuko succeeds. That I felt like it was a little... I still tried to make it as realistic as I could. Like, she paid a huge price to get the help of the Warvians to do it. But that was like one of the things, like, maybe it was a little unrealistic, but I was trying to force a scene. Maybe for better or for worse. You guys can tell me if you felt forced. Yeah, a little bit. I didn't want... I didn't follow the whole thing. I didn't really want the party mm -hmm. to happen, and, which is probably why I did such a stupid thing and blew the that party. That, yeah. That's probably aggravated with the whole idea, and I and exactly, I think I did the capture all the prisoners thing, not because I thought she would capture all the prisoners as a way to sort of right, like oh look, look what you know <laughs> we have this emergency it. going on, so yeah, bring me back all the prisoners and you can have a party. Until then, I got to go like catch all these prisoners. Right. So yeah, absolutely, my concept was there wasn't going to be a party. I mean, I, I you know, it was kind of like uh, if you ever saw the Princess Bride when the when that I forget his name. Humperdinck is like saying all the things he has to do. Like I have a wedding to plan. I have a princess to kill. Uh, you know, a wife to so murder. It was, I'm it was that kind of thing. Like I knew the empire's coming. I had to move the stronghold to the cast. I had all these things going on, and I was definitely trying to sort of get rid of it. So yeah, I, I would say 
at some point it might have crept in my mind like wow Caleb really wants this sorry about that party to happen hopefully it didn't hurt too much I, I, that probably was one of my mistakes just once in a while when I have a scene I really want to have happen oops sorry a scene I Looking really want back to. now, I should have stuck by my philosophy, and as soon as Setsuko was that dead set against me, I should have just shot her right in the head. <laughs> Very Stalinistic of you. Uh, David, speaking of shooting things in the head, Rod asks, what was it like to play yourself in a fantasy world utilizing weapons that aren't your usual experience? Well, I don't think that that's the case. I think, it, in fact, I, I absolutely immediately made them weapons that I'm familiar with so mm. using a rifle uh, and a pistol for those that don't know musket I obviously first. don't know I've never used a musket but being I, I grew up with uh, a grandfather that hunted and uh, so I've been around rifles and pistols my whole life so they are familiar weapons maybe not that um, old but Caleb and I, I don't remember if we, I'm sure it was out of game we talked about whether or not that would be realistic as far as having a revolver built mm -hmm. and things of that nature but we did discuss that and I felt like I knew enough about firearms that I could go to a blacksmith and sort of explain the basics of how uh, firearms work so I, I don't think I was using unfamiliar weapons except for the the only thing that was a stretch was I'm not positive I could hit even something as big as a dragon with a bow and arrow <laughs> at more than like yeah. eight feet. I probably haven't shot a bow and arrow since summer camp, uh, 1984. So I'm not positive about that. Might've been a stretch, but, um, no, I think if you gave me a musket and, and a, a revolver, I could do some damage with it in, as in real life. So I think we played that pretty straight up. What did you like best about being a gunslinger? Tim asks. Uh, it's kind of, piggybacks on the same question if they hadn't had a gunslinger character uh, if i could only have been swords and spears and bows and arrows uh, i guess i would have next in line would have been a crossbow would have been the closest thing i could realistically use so i liked being a gunslinger because it's it was a character and a weapon tree that i felt like was real enough that again um with just a little bit of practice i probably could have got up to par with a with a musket and with uh an old timey type revolver so i enjoyed it very much without it i would have been really lost in the game if we played it real because I, I don't think i'd last too long against skilled swordsmen with a sword mm -hmm. question for everyone what was your favorite location and why this is also asked by tim floating rock tomb of onyxilis yep tomb of onyxilis the floating yeah. rock why'd you like that one um I, it was just i mean it was great because this thing's up in the air we're like oh what could happen I mean, it's up in the air. <laughs> all, all the dangerous stuff's always deep underground, and so we're, we should be good. And we get up there, and where do we have? To, we have to go underground <laughs> in a tomb that's in the air. And so I just thought that concept was brilliant. And eventually collapses. Eventually collapses. And and David and I, I, I sincerely thought, okay, we're gonna die again. We're gonna die. I'm not again. Sorry. No, we're gonna die. I'm gonna have to roll a new character now. Um, versus later. And then not only were you fighting these things that were difficult to fight, mm. and boss at the end of it, Freddy accosted you in the middle of it. Of course, and, and that was brutal because we had no sleep. Mm -hmm. My spells were all but gone or useless. Mm -hmm. um, our HP was low. Um, it, it was a brutal knockdown dragout fight. done on purpose. I, though, who, who could I send at you to help make this thing make this uh, dungeon worse well you need to sleep to get spells and sleep to get health I'll send somebody who makes you not want to go to sleep yeah it David. was definitely a challenge that's why I liked it David 
Mine was uh, the Lich's Castle, which then became the uh, SCP Foundation. The SCP Foundation. I, I enjoyed that sort of centralized location that was always kind of looming mm. in the in the subplot of the story or the main plot of the story. So no matter where we were or what we were doing, you know, pre the Lich's Castle and then post the Lich's Castle, we knew it was always going to circle back to the Lich's Castle. And each and both times we went there. It was a nice, like, challenging battle, mm-hmm. but they were completely different places, even though it was the same place. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then having, of course, the big machine that we never even got to the bottom of there. Yeah. Uh, it had a lot of, like, mystery. You mean, the, b- you mean the big archway? Yeah, that whatever it was he was building that we never yep. sort of got to the bottom of. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just had this sort of mystery to it. And then every time we went there, it had a really challenging uh, fight, and it was sort of going you know into that traditional dungeon questing thing that was fun to do and it felt like it was just there if we wanted it you know what i mean like <laughs> hey you want to go do like a old school dungeon quest let's go back to the castle and you know try to get to the back room or whatever it is we were trying to do but a close second wasn't because of a location it was because of the fight it was when we fought uh freeze mm. it was in one of the domes or mm-hmm. something like one of the floating yeah. it's not so much that i like that but that was my favorite fight so it made it a good location that was a great fight unfortunately we did that in person because of the complexity of the battle and how we needed terrain and the listeners just got to hear a little summary of that but to let you guys know it was everything the whole terrain was built around that battle completely was used freezing things making walls the walls were thin enough that he could pull you through them there was a rafter above there was just there was a whole lot of complexities in that fight yeah, and, and that, and that, that, that fight, i was a ranger i think Mm-hmm. I had a bow and arrow in that one. Yep, and an owl. And yep, you're right. It did require teamwork to kill him because you, you couldn't get him in the front. Anywhere but the back, actually. For me, my favorite location, it's a small one. And unfortunately, it's another one the listeners really didn't get to, to listen more than a summary. Because, again, we did it on pen and paper. Was when you guys went through that room in the Lich's castle that was everything was frozen. And this Grim Reaper statue would move through. And as long as you stayed with it, you wouldn't get frozen. But it would come across things and unfreeze them, and they would be hostile. Mm. Which, by the way, was my first hint that the campaign had involved demons, because those were demons from that world. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I just enjoyed it. It was a, it was a sort of complex encounter, not just because of terrain, but because different mechanics. And not only that, it had some great parts where literally Thaddeus almost died because of the rock. And some quick thinking by the players saved him. And then right after that, you guys almost died because of the Wendango. And and then, of course, right after that was the big encounter with the Lich. But I just enjoyed that freeze room. It was a lot of fun to make and play and watch you guys play in. Um, and then, you know, I just enjoyed Antioch. It's a new place I hadn't made before. The Empire I hadn't made before in my last campaign. Antioch was brand new. It wasn't even on the map. And I enjoyed that place having so much connection to nature and the Fae. And then throwing in just things that would be ridiculous. Like those giant planet-sized spheres and just different things like that. I enjoyed... And then, like, the... The giant monster that was like a living mountain and the floating pillars end up being the stronghold in the prison and the archives. Yeah. And I just enjoyed one of my favorite places in literature is the wood between the world and the first novel of Narnia. First uh, chronically, not as in first written. Magician's Nephew. And there's this place that is just a forest and all the trees are separated evenly and there's pools in between all the trees and it's all very even. And you in, in every pool is a different world and i kind of made the baths in antioch like that except they were baths they weren't trip places to another world 
But I just, that was a cool scene I get to put in Antioch. So Antioch, I enjoyed a lot. What was your favorite enemy? Also asked by Tim. And this doesn't have to be a villain. It could be a main villain, but it could be just one monster. Does, does Valerian count? Sure. I mean, sure. It, it, it being a villain. I mean, for Thaddeus, I don't think he was a villain so much. Um, but definitely for Thorin. Um, Thorin did not like Valerian. He he was a he, he was and is a, a political threat. Um, I I think though it wasn't just I don't think it was described on on the podcast. Inside Thorin was pissed that Valerian didn't didn't die. He 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 would have been fine leaving trading everything that the Empire lost in that in that surprise attack for please just as long as Valerian dies. Because they can work with that, Valerian, I think, really is the 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 cog that makes the the government of the empire turn at, at, in, in its foreign policy. And so, if Valerian went. Um, I, I think it would have been a lot easier facing Im, Im, the imperial forces. Hmm. But I mean, yeah, politically, Thorin hated Valerian. Post-editing, my favorite scene was when the Lin Kuei assassinated everybody. I did mm. a ton of editing to make it you know, smooth and with music and all that. And I love that scene so much. Mm-hmm. It had the music from um, Inception in it, which is great music by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. I love yeah. that. My, my favorite music was the to Antioch in the North, if it were telling favorite music. Oh, the uh, when you first got into Antioch? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's called Brahm. It's from League of Legends. Don't tell them. They'll sue me. <laughs> David. Well, fight-wise, I already said Freeze was my favorite, mm. uh, just as far as mechanics of the fight and how it went down. But uh, the most satisfying was uh, Orokusaki. Mm. Definitely going through all we went through and sort of, again, like we said earlier, we never assumed that... I never assumed that Caleb would give me an opportunity to kill him I knew that you know if I have to play it right so uh, just all that we went through to get to that moment of opportunity and then to succeed and, and you know have a Rokusaki die it was kind of a, that was the most satisfying uh, villain to get rid of in the game yeah and you know he was for me a basic villain he was just a bad guy just doing bad things Valerian's complex Kaiser is even a little bit complex, even though he's just straight up evil. He's still a little more complex. The Lich isn't even that complex. The Lich and uh, Rokusaki were two very. He's just a bad guy. He does bad stuff. Hey, right. Um, so I find it interesting that one of the basic guys uh, you enjoy, but I guess sometimes it's the time honored thing. This guy that keeps bothering you, you want to kill him. <laughs> it's that simple. And that, again, is another combat that took place off-game. That was on top of the fortress that it would shift and, and, and um, not lithe, um, list back and mm. forth so that things became difficult terrain just based on direction. You fought a dragon, which is the first dragon you had to fight uh, that uh, was a northern dragon. Yeah, and I didn't have an arrow for it. No, and you didn't have an arrow for it. And I remember <laughs> David learned his lesson because at one point he's like, um, I walk right in front of the dragon. I don't know if you're trying to be badass or something. And then one of the worst things a dragon can do is full attack. And you're right next to it. So he's like, okay. And he full attacked you. And you're like, 
I blink through the dragon and go beyond. <laughs> you get to really, I think it's the first time you had appreciation of dragons. And then, of course, you had the Orvians flying, and then you had Phoenix, and then you had Kai, uh, um, Oroku Saki, and all that combined. And even, like, you didn't even kill the dragon. You just destroyed the machine, which kind of ended the encounter, because you were like, need, we need to finish this. I think the dragon had killed... Wait, I killed Oroku before I destroyed the machine, right? You did, it's true, yep. I canoed him. Yep, but you killed... Uh, which, by the way, for me, it was kind of anticlimactic because he had used his arm. He was, like, half... All his stats were, like, halved almost. So he just wasn't as big a threatening. But I think if he was, you couldn't beat the encounter because there's so much other crap involved. But that was, like, the dragon slammed down and killed Dom's second character. And mm -hmm. David, you, I think at that moment, I could almost hear you, like, your brain snip to, I'm just going to destroy this machine. All right? I don't think I'm going after this dragon anymore. But I think maybe one of the reasons... I felt bad, and it's not going to happen in season two. Doing those out of game in real life encounters because I have a mind and I love creating these interesting encounters that you just can't do over voice. You need to have visuals, and it's it's not fair to the listeners. But if you noticed, everyone here kept talking about those as being their favorite because you can do more complex things that way. But I promise you guys, season two, I'm not going to do any more of that because I, I don't want to have to summarize things. I want you guys to be a part of all of it. My favorite enemy. Uh, I do Kaiser because, like, from the beginning, I had so much planned for Kaiser. And it was just finally, like, when I got to things, it was like, finally, you got to the train scene where you can finally talk to Kaiser, which I, in purpose, I could happen have, have happened any time, but I, I delayed it because I knew it would annoy David because David just wanted to see him and shoot him. And then Kaiser's like, well, then the one thing I'm going to do is not show him myself to just tease him. He killed three people, and each of them was people. He put the name Elsa, Lucy, and yeah. Jamie, and he kept taunting you. At times, you were like, you'd yell, like, he tasks me. And you would yell up into the sky, like, if you're hearing me, just show yourself. Come on, man and man. And Kaiser just enjoyed torturing you in, in that way until he decided he wanted to show himself. Um, yeah. But I also enjoyed Freeze. I enjoyed Freddy. I think each of the... SCPs, as they later recall, but each of the demons, I tried to do something different with. Freddy was a very different encounter from Freeze, it was a very different encounter from the Doof Warrior, it was a very different encounter from um, the radio, it was different. I tried to do a different one with each one, um, and I hopefully I accomplished that. And then to put them at the end of the game, I didn't have a single boss battle at the end of the game. I decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna throw them all at you. And depending on which way you went, you would have, you know, I think I explained in the last Q&A which way you went, which you would have fought, but you guys decided to go a certain way and you encountered what you encountered. And, yeah. and you, I'm glad because I wanted, I really wanted you guys to fight Smith. Smith uh, was, I thought was a fun encounter because it made David think, uh, I need to think of something else outside the box because just shooting him doesn't work because he matrixes my bullets. No, we had to set him on fire and then shoot him. Lightning, fire. You did all sorts of things. You did things tricking him to turn into one of you guys, and then right here you had the gun next to him, or he, he moved into somebody, and then the lightning balls got him. But it was a fun thing, because that, that encounter was very back and forth. You would outwit him, and then he would outwit you. You're like, we got him with lightning, and then he's like, okay, and he would switch places with Thaddeus, and Thaddeus would be yeah. uh, I mean, Thorin, and Thorin would be standing in lightning. So you guys would each get one else on each other until you finally beat him. I enjoyed that. But if I had to lay it down, my favorite enemy that you fought I really enjoyed the encounter with Freddy. It freezes a close second. But I really enjoyed you guys fighting um, Freddy. And as bad as it went, the first encounter I thought was a good introduction encounter uh, with the Horned Men. Mm -hmm. Hitting on the same thing. Uh, these were all kind of asked by Tip, kind of in the same vein. Favorite NPC and why? Favorite NPC. You, you, you go first, David. 
Oh. I need a minute. Um, <laughs> I have well, it's a hard question because especially after our party shrunk, obviously, and it was just me and Dom, I think that kind of put more on Caleb to add more uh, steady characters or however you want to put it. Sure. So that, there were so many of them. But I would say Phoenix, just because mm. Phoenix seemed like the only guy that was ever on the same page with me, like that had a clear <laughs> point of view of he was understood like listen man we got to go do this thing and whatever gets in our way like he never went out of his way to kill anything but you just had to get out of his way and that's how i viewed it like anything i killed i wouldn't have killed if it had just not come between us and what we were trying to do i wasn't like you know rolling around looking for a fight anything at any point could have stepped aside and not gotten in trouble and I felt like Phoenix kind of had that same thing if Valerian gave him a task he was going to go straight to the task and complete it and uh, anything in his way was going to suffer and all it had to do was not to not suffer was move to the other side of the street so to speak so I think Phoenix I have I felt like was like a real um, ally you know and I really kind of understood him and I think he kind of understood me so I liked Phoenix hands down and like any character he had development a little bit and I the moment I could see the moment when David became disenfranchised with him was when he beat Setsuko's face to a pulp you were like well, again that's when he went outside the line right so exactly and I don't I didn't like that right he what he did is that that thinking um he took that one step farther and followed that line through he didn't have he kept, put this way he had the same thinking as David, but David had boundaries put on him as being a Christian. Phoenix didn't have those boundaries. So the same line of thinking, you saw how they diverged. Yeah. Because I wanted to beat up Setsuko the whole time. Of course, I never would have. <laughs> um, she egged him on, though. Listen, let's all say uh, We hey, talked hey, about yeah. it. It's everyone's fault. It was her and Phoenix's fault. I mean, yeah, she, she should have kept her mouth shut. Everyone Absolutely. made mistakes. Yeah, I think if I had to pick a, a well, e- even then though, I, I sorry, I have to address this now. Even then, I I still don't think I, I think that I liked Phoenix. Phoenix was awesome. He was one of my favorites, but at, at some uh, he he was a loose cannon and he needed to go. So. <laughs> but he wasn't until that moment. Like no, until that no. moment, he was totally predictable. He was only going to do exactly what he was ordered to do. But not well then not even though because I. I I mean Caleb knows Phoenix. <laughs> I do. I, I don't I don't think I don't think Am I Caleb, not getting that right, Caleb? No, hold on. I, I just don't <laughs> think Caleb is in the habit of changing his characters mid season or, or mid play. No, I think he did. I think Phoenix changed by being with us. I think I think he did change a little bit. And I think he started to see their I think when Phoenix started there was no gray area. Valerian hands him a scroll, he opens it and reads it, that's what's going to happen. And I think when he was hanging with us, he did start to, maybe I'm wrong about this, I think he did start to see, okay, maybe there is gray areas to orders, and, and uh, it's not always a straight line uh, between the two things. I think when we were first with him, he was just like, sorry guys, if this says kill you, uh, I'll kill you. And he had no like mm-hmm. hesitation or even telling us that was his thought process. But then I think by the end, he 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 did start to see okay, you know Valerian's not all knowing, and I don't have to just open the scroll, and there is gray areas, and I think he and it ended up being a negative thing because I think the beating of Setsuko was him sort of saying, okay, I can make my own decisions and go off orders and sort of, you know, or him even going back after her when they took her, 
I don't think that was like him when we first met him. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Or something like uh, that. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to bring in this. I'm sorry to bring in this existential question of of, well, it, the, the, it, is he seeing only the gray or is he seeing black and white? I, I'm sorry to bring that in. I just I, I'm, I bring it up because it still confuses me. That's all. He's a he's a frustratingly amazing character. It's one of the themes. There was a couple themes, and one of the themes was gray area. I I kind of I, I put my thesis in there when Valerian spoke to you about the gray area, black and white. How he feels that he's black without mana. Mana's the real white in the world, and he's just he's lived his whole life in the gray, and he's just like that's what it is. There is no black and white. How many times have we gotten to arguments about what had happened, and everybody has a different side? Because mm-hmm. he's like, because there isn't a black and there isn't a white, and you know, Phoenix can also be an illustration. And I hate to answer this question. I hate to end this debate because another storytelling moment in my life is when I played Homeworld, and there would be like a whole mission where it's just like there's this ship. A Homeworld, a space game. There's the ship, and every other ship around it, factions that shouldn't work together are all working together. That's weird. And then you find out, oh, it controls them. But there's no further information. And so it leaves your own mind, the player's mind, to think, whatever. And like my thought was, that must be like an ancient alien ship of an, a deceased civilization that's out there because it's not like anything we've ever known. And that game did a lot of letting the players fill in the blanks. So I like to let you guys and listeners debate and try to figure out what happened to Phoenix. But if you really want an answer, I can tell you what my thought process was as a person who played Phoenix. And that was that Phoenix had some basic rules like every NPC. If you're going to make an NPC, you got, and if you don't want to be crazy and all over the place, you got to have some basic rules. His basic rules, like David said, was, and, and, and Dom said at some point too, was here are my orders. I follow my orders. There was going to be a scene if Thor, if, but Thaddeus died and it ruined it on the final battle <laughs> when Thaddeus, if, if Thaddeus was fighting Oroku Saki. So what was going to happen was Phoenix and Thaddeus at some point his helmet would come off and you'd see it's Phoenix and Phoenix was going to look at you, Thaddeus, and say, I'm sorry, but I'm just following orders. And then when I was hoping some sort of interaction to the point of this, I know this sentence wouldn't have been said, but something to the point of, you know, don't do this, I'm your friend, you don't have to do this. You know, some of the worst things in history happened because people were just following orders. And if you had convincingly said something, he was going to turn around and he was going to strike Rokusaki, and he would have turned to be your ally. And mm. that was going to be the culmination of his arc, where he finally got to a point where he had his own identity. Where it's my friend, and I'm going to choose something, even though it's against orders. David, you're right. He was going to that. He never quite got there. There was little pangs of him doing that. But when he, like, when he beat upset Suko, it wasn't any revelation in his mind that I could disobey orders. It was... He works alone. He's working with three people, two of which he hates, one of which he can deal with. David kind of agrees with me sometimes. And Setsuka was just pestering and pestering and hit his one hot button, which was his wife. He he lost a wife. And she, like, one of the things she says, I'll tell everyone why you cry in the morning. He cries in the morning because he constantly dreams about his wife. And he wakes up and she's gone and he cries about it. (laughs) And so she, I think she had said something to that point and that's when he finally just lost it. She hit yeah. his hot button, and she constantly was hitting his buttons. And so he, he always thought of, like, I don't, I'm controlled by no man but one man. So if I want to kill somebody because they're bothering me, I can. And he, he did subscribe to that theory of, I don't go out of my way to kill people. She was going out of her way to bother me. She was getting in my way. 
Right. Uh, what I what I meant was it first like showed a vulnerability just in the sense of before that he was sort of ice water in his veins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that we thought he wouldn't kill people, but that he was so about what he was doing and he didn't yeah. get distracted emotionally. And you couldn't get to him. The first thing I, we saw him do that was purely an emotional response. There was no purpose to his mission or purpose mm-hmm. he was on to beating up Setsuko other than yeah. he she made him mad. And that was the first thing he showed us that like, okay, this guy's mm-hmm. not Spock. And part I, he of has this emotion. Part of this going into him learning that he can or, you know, developing where he can disobey orders was he genuinely didn't want to kill you guys. He was still willing to do it, but he was trying to do everything he could to get you guys out of the north. Everything he could. Because once you guys got to that point where it would disobey his orders, his orders were do not let them upset the gentry of that town. He even let you go a little past like you guys were being assaulted. Because you had so upset the gentry of that town. He still hadn't killed you because he's still trying to just like, if I could just get him out of here, I don't have to do it. He really didn't want to kill you as much as he was bothered by Thaddeus. He still had some moment of, you guys were kind of becoming his friends as much as he hated to say that. <laughs> and he was trying to get you out of there. And that was part of, he still was willing to kill you though. He, didn't had, he hadn't reached that precipice and crossed it, which he would have if that battle had happened with Thaddeus. He just never quite reached that. But there was those little moments of, if I can just get him out of this town, I'm trying everything I can. But he was he was like when you guys were in um the whole reason he let you go to the stronghold because he was gonna try to talk to um Orokusaki and he was trying to try to bargain for your life. Which mm. he ended up doing in a way he didn't want to do and ended up giving his own life. because uh, he just wanted to keep his orders. That was kind of like he that way he could keep his orders and he could save you guys was to bargain for his own life, which yeah. he ended up doing. But even then, like he was like, If I have to, I have to. If, if if there was going to be no quarter given by Rokusaki, I'd kill him because that's my orders. But he was so close to, to crossing that. I mean, one one part during the season that stands out in my mind more than anything is the first time we get a look at Phoenix and what he's doing, uh, killing that one guy, the the one. Uh, yes. And I, I think the, it was word had a vision. Yeah, the the word that comes to my mind is juggernaut, just. He's just a juggernaut of a guy who, who who kills anyone who gets in his way. But I mean, the, the, I think comparing that with what we see him at the end uh, and the absence of Thaddeus, I mean, the ripples in the water have effects mm-hmm. on on all the players in the game. And so, and you weren't it, pinging at him like, "Oh man, these guys in the road—they're walking so genuine," and I'm really interested in being their friends now. He had a part in his heart that was alive because of his wife. And this is the kind of thing like that you guys never knew this, but it helps make him play the character better. He had a part in his heart that was alive. If you remember the first thing when, when Word told you, oh, I know this guy, and he told you what happened, it was he went in, he killed a man because he was ordered to, but then he went to the man's daughter who now was out of father and said, do you have a mother? And she goes, no. And he says, who will take care of this kid? I will. He gave money to the guy and said, if I find out this money goes to anything but this kid, you're dead. So he still had part of him that was alive, but when he lost his wife, life, he lost a lot. And then part of his addiction and all that stuff just really brought him so down. And um, that's why he was almost kind of genuinely nice to Mana, because he almost kind of like the way he's like, oh, this is what it's like to rea- interact with nice people again. Um, but that was Phoenix's character, and I, I, that's a good pick for somebody who you liked a lot. Uh, Dom, you still have not answered. Who was your favorite NPC and why? I think my favorite NPC... It would have to be a tie between the orphanage guy, Jaren, 
Jerem, and Mana. Oh, really? Yeah, um... My favorite NPC interaction in the whole season, if I had to pick just one, when uh, Thaddeus was in the Imperial Gardens at the palace. Mm. And Mana just comes out of nowhere, and... Oh, that scared the living daylights out of me. I'm like, I do not want to be alone here with this guy's wife. I don't want to give him any excuse to to hasten my my uh, my meeting with the Almighty. Um, but it, it was just such an interesting interaction because um, I I had never played with Mana in the game before, and so it was was a first time meeting uh, that was very different from when Thorin meets Mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, however many episodes later um it, it was just and, and I remember the conversation was interesting it was it was a back and forth because um Valerian's committed to the gray whereas Thaddeus is committed to the absolute truth and righteousness of of the cause and the way they saw Valerian really black and white picture completely mm-hmm. different she loves him. She, she, he, he's the the bee's knees. I think the kids call it these days. <laughs> um, but he just sees the 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 possibility of what Valerian could be, and and it's not a pretty picture to him. Hmm. Um, it, it was not a pretty picture to Thaddeus. I I, I don't. I, I remember I said something brilliant. But I don't remember what I said. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, did you now? I remember I said something brilliant. Um, uh, something to do with um, the fact that uh, if uh, he'd he'd watch all the entire country burn if if, if it suited his needs. Oh, oh yes, the quote uh, Valerian said is, "I'd watch the world burn to ashes if it meant Mana and I were still around to walk on them." Yeah, yeah, that that. As a player, that irked me. That <laughs> really kind of gave me a picture of what kind of guy Valerian was, and it was someone who I really didn't like and didn't want in power. But uh, again, the the difference between Thaddeus and Thorin is Thaddeus is a loyal citizen of the Empire. So whatever he might think of his emperor, he's he's a loyal son of the Empire. Hmm. Uh, Thorin has no such qualms. I think what you said there was, was, was good. You saw... A- Valerian's like, I'm gray, and you're like, well, I can see how very quickly you can be black. And all Mana saw was white. And Valerian would say, if you asked him, the white she sees in me is a reflection of her. There's no actual white in me. She just, she can't see that's a reflection. And that without her, I am black. Uh, But he truly believes that, whether or not who's right or wrong. It's always fun to get that kind of debate going. My favorite NPC was, aside from Valerian Mana, who were always my favorite, um, is Setsuko, and I know it's David's least favorite, but uh, I, I really enjoyed her start to finish uh, and how she developed. Talking about somebody who really developed, and she's hit like several arcs, and it was fun playing a, a crazy character, and then a character influenced a little bit by a demon, and then just someone who's like growing and becoming a woman, but the way she's doing it is so insane, and she's being forced to do it so quickly, and she has to do all these terrible things, and has to have these terrible things done to her, uh, and then she becomes, ended up becomes this leader um, I just I really enjoyed her a lot. She went through so much change, and she was so involved, and she had such an impact in the story, um, without any without ever being the driving point of the story. Yeah, I liked her I, a lot. You, you know, uh, 
I think the the favorite moment that you've described so far with Setsuko is the moment where um, oh, uh, Kaiser Soze is trying to get her to 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 kind of go along with his plans. I can just imagine, almost like him whispering in her ear, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and she and she has like no defense against that. Yeah, she has no no god to call to. Matter of no. fact, there was a point where he literally talked to her and everyone heard her. It was at the fight when finally got to fight Kaiser in your in the mm-hmm. real world, not in his dream world he made. And as he was leaving, he said, um, "David, wherever you are, people will always die. I'm going to guarantee it. Wherever you are, people are going to get hurt. Long as you're around, people will get hurt. You'll remind him remind him of that, Setsuko, won't you?" That stuck in her mind. She truly believed that. Whoever said that, she didn't even know who really said that. It's like, that's right. And she really believed it. Long as David's around. He's just I think he should even called you incompetent once. He's incompetent. He just hurts people. He's bad at his job. You know, and when I first became Orokusaki, there was such a small part of me, but now I looking back, I wish it had been a bigger part of me. There was such a small part of me since Thaddeus was dead to kill basically anyone who knew Mm-hmm. who I was yeah, and to just totally disappear into the Orokusaki thing and never reveal it again mm-hmm. which was my whole idea with the mask and things like that and looking back at it I kind of now for obvious reasons it would have been a good move like right. even lightning just right. everybody like as if to wipe everyone off the earth that knew who I was right but there's just, there, which there, was kind of my original plan when we had talked before you know about what I was trying to do, which was to disappear from the game, but still be in the game. But I'm I'm glad you didn't, because it allowed the the things like Satsuko was trying to do that for you, but to hurt you. I liked how that could happen because you had friends; she could take them away from you. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like Satsuko or any of her arcs. I know, or, <laughs> I know, I know. Not game, so I do wish I had. I should have just hung her. This flows <laughs> into a question asked by Rory: Which character that for me? Which character that interacted with the party for an extended period did you personally come to appreciate more than you thought you would? Who was your favorite to role play? And putting Setsuko aside, who I think would be the answer to that question: Lightning. Lightning, who started as a bunch of lightning bugs. I had his history in my mind. Never knew if it ever come up. Get get to come back to life because Dom doesn't know how to make a wish. He got very he locked up in an important moment and had the ring on his finger. I said, "What do you wish?" And he goes, "Nothing." And the ring's taken from you. Yeah, that was crazy. That too. was crazy. Second um, display. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, that I, fact I, that Lightning had the ability to come back and be a character and be a character who was unique. He it was he was mute, so he had to speak through Drow sign language, and and you had to have a translator and that whole thing. And then I liked how he just he was kind of a genuine person. I want to call him genuinely good all the time, but he was a genuine person. He he wore his heart on his sleeve. He was who he was. He appreciated Thaddeus, and Thaddeus left a big impact on him. And you mm-hmm. saw that out of it. And, like, even at the point when he was just... He was so... Uh, maybe the word's innocent. His mindset, anyway. The, ch- the mind of a child, almost, of... Maybe if I just talk to Setsuko, this whole thing can just end. I think anyone... If he if he brought that up with you, you'd been like, no, you're crazy, she'll kill you. And what happened? She killed him. In cold blood. In the back. And he, what had he done ever... What had he had ever done to Setsuko? Nothing. Nothing. He was just a genuine kind of nice person, and he interacted with the party for a long time. I didn't expect me to like him as much as I did, but I I really enjoyed role playing him. But my favorite person to role play is always Valerian. I always love. I even changed my voice for Valerian because it just have to become. I have to become smarter than I am. More uh, <laughs> I, my linguistics check has to increase just to speak with the words he uses. I have all the best words. Um, 
and just enjoy being conniving and trying to manipulate everyone. I always enjoy taking on that persona. So I like playing Valerian whenever I get to play with play him. And it, it's also fun playing Mana because of how very starkly different it is. But I always have to switch between them whenever she's around because she's almost never alone. Like the dinner with Valerian, I had to switch between Valerian and Mana. She's a fun person to play because she is genuinely innocent. She genuinely wants the best for everyone. And it's and it's it's so unrealistic to have somebody that in real life. It's fun to play somebody who's unrealistically good. It was fun to get her drunk. That was fun. Yeah. Thorin enjoyed that because it, it irked Valerian. And so... I mean, <laughs> It, Thorn kind of enjoyed that. That Val- Valerian, that thing you do with your nose, it's so cute. All right, I think it's time for bed. Let's uh, <laughs> let's all head off to bed. Oh, Val, Val, how are you? <laughs> um, we've we've talked a lot about this, but I want I want a solid answer. One that we haven't really mentioned before, uh, and I and I didn't. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't write down who asked this question. Any regrets or things you would do again differently? Well, we've already gone through so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thorin probably would have killed Setsuko or David sooner. Hmm, interesting. Um, I remember, I, I don't remember how de- in-depth we went in, in the first Q&A, but there, there was a plan in Thorne's head for a long time to, to get rid of the Orokusaki. Thorne would have got dealt with. <laughs> Malganus's, good, luck, good luck with all that. Malganus's plan was originally made with Vermithrax to get you to be Emperor, but then, of course, when Vermithrax died, Setsuko stepped in and said, oh, I'll be the person instead. Yeah. But that was originally for you. Mm. And 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 so, and again, the players, the 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 listeners could probably detect this. Thorn hated Tetsuko. <laughs> he, she just kept getting in the way every single time. Every I, I I would set up these little scenarios, and and I'm like, okay, we can we can make this work, and and things would be going according to plan, and she would step in and screw everything up again. But daddy, and, my party, daddy, daddy, oh, my party, party, daddy. Daddy, oh, I'm gonna throw a tantrum. I'll get my party. Oh. And and that's why it's such an interesting moment because now at the end of it all, where's Thorne? He's in the middle of two very pissed off people who hate him. And and he's not in a very good situation, where Setsuko wants to kill him for just being him, and then Valeria wants to kill him for crimes against the state. And then Ubercon said to her, "Next time I see you, pray we do not meet again." And yeah. they just met again. Yeah. Um, David, moment you could take back. Uh, I would say early on, because of my inexperience with playing, it was my first time playing this game. I think early on in the game, I really laid back too much just because I didn't think, I didn't know how the game works. I wasn't really being pushy. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning when we were four or we were three and then four, um, there was sort of like at times like, uh, leadership vacuums where we were all sort of just drifting and doing our own things and I think that kind of led to some of the issues we had as a team or as a group Mm -hmm. and so I felt like the game got better when we got to that that smooth sailing of I was kind of um, being the protagonist and pushing the story and Thaddeus was kind of reining me in (laughs) and steering it when necessary and I think if we had gotten to that sort of pace earlier in the game I think it, the game would have went smoother and I think we had some real rough patches in the beginning of the game because I was like uh, I don't want to like be too pushy or I don't mm-hmm. want to you know I was trying to lay back and just see who would sort of take and steer mm-hmm. the game I had no intention of wanting to steer the story 
where later I felt like we got into a good rhythm of how to move things forward. If we had gotten into that earlier, I feel like we could have uh, gotten around some frustration and some silliness that kind of derailed the game a little bit early on mm-hmm. in the game. And you know what? There's a point where you had a unique thing uh, where there was a point where it's like, well, you're the leader of an entire country, so David is pretty much going to choose where things go. And I talked with Dom and outside the game. I'm like, I want to make sure that you don't get railroaded and that everything is you're having fun in every part of this. Just let me know at any moment. You can tell me, say, Caleb, I just feel like I'm not part of this game anymore, which, thank goodness, everyone was considerate of each other, and that didn't really happen. But that was unique. Earlier, though, you didn't have that. You had to choose. And there's, a, there's actually a term for that. It's called party face. And it's a universal term because that has to happen. Otherwise, things do get chaotic. One person generally just becomes the party face, the person who goes out and, and starts really driving things. And that's not wrong as long as that person's considerate of everybody and everybody's cool with that and agrees with that. Yeah, and it wasn't that I wanted to be in charge, so to speak, or make the decisions, but just in natural storytelling, it w- it's hard to develop a story simultaneously around four characters equally driving the story. You get what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think what happened was we sort of got stuck in a vacuum of, like, whose story is this? Who's really this about? And I, I think that um, because so much of the storyline was about the man in white bringing us together, and I'm being teleported in from this other world and trying to find a way home like if we had kind of forced into that storyline a little sooner i felt like Mm -hmm. it would have went better for us instead of sort of we kind of wandered for a little bit but as far as moments go uh like the one thing i did that i regretted immediately was the whole thing with the orokusaki party Mm. killing the worthy and the okay. bowing down i knew like that's one of those things like as you're doing it yeah. I'm like, this is such a bad idea <laughs> yeah, yeah like i knew like i knew the right way to play it would have just been like ignore the worthy and then right. like whisper to a guy like tomorrow go find that guy and cut his head off or something right, right. i knew that that was the way to play it and just be cool it was the day of peace and i should have just like but i don't know why i did that it was stupid i, I think i was like uh i think i i think i got a little not frustrated, but a little bummed out. Like, that whole storyline wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Being near Rokusaki, I mean, and I think that was just sort of like, almost like a self-destructive... A temper mood. tantrum. Yeah, like a one, not, not a temper tantrum. <laughs> a self-destruction. That's what that's called. No, no, is, a is temper that... tantrum. This was more like, I want this to go wrong. You mm-hmm. know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. I was kind of hoping like somebody else was going to then step up and be like, I won't bow. Like, I kind of wanted the whole thing... To, right. to fall apart. Is that dumb. why later on, when that guy was burying his worthy friend was uh, Huffer was burying the other guy, you went up and you threw the sand in, and then you didn't like interrogate the worthy and like where are the rest of the worthies? You just let him go and like let him bury his friend. Yeah, I immediately like he regretted. Though I knew I should have just I should have just played it straight, and then maybe mm-hmm. just done my escape plan then, and that was sort of like the same sort of reaction instead of leaving the note and just running away you know Mm. sort of trying to bring the whole house of cards down was the other way to play i was almost trying to have a revolt where i would end up not being the rokusaki i was i didn't want to die right but i thought in just like a whacked out way i was like pushing the the envelope of what they would even well you kind of did but it didn't take the shape you wanted to there was a revolt and it was all the warvians and sesuko and then her forming allies that she got later yeah, but that's not what I, you know, I wanted the right. people themselves to be like, right. we don't need this in a Roku sock. Like, I, you know what I mean? Just like, 
Um, it wasn't that well thought out, don't get me wrong. Right. But in the moment, I totally, that was like the one thing I can remember in the game doing. Like the second I did it, I was like, nah, what am I doing? You know, like I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> For me, most of the things I regret, regret when I think about it again is encounters I did stupidly. And I like, oh, like the whole thing with the um, Coliseum and just different encounters. And I'm like, I really just didn't. I messed it up bad with the uh, horned men. Um, as for story-wise, I don't know how many things. I really liked how a lot of the things went. I don't have a lot of regrets with the way things went. I think most of the regrets come kind of meta gaming wise, like those encounters, um, the whole situation with Josh, and um, in word leaving, and just like handling those things. I wish I could go back in time and handle them different. Or um, I know this probably sounds cruel. Um, but filtering my players better, I probably never would have let Josh. And I want to be very clear, I don't think Josh is a terrible person or something. It's just the way he likes to play Pathfinder is an antagonistic kind of way, which a lot of people enjoy, and they play that together. And you need to find that connection that your all players are all there for the same thing. And he wasn't there for what everyone else was there for. And that was the same thing with Word in a different way. Word wasn't there to be antagonistic, but Word wanted to be a lot more jovial. He wanted a lot more levity. And this was a very serious game with a very serious story, very serious tones. And in this serious world, every time we tried to be goofy, it always had serious consequences. And that just wasn't what he wanted to play either. So I wish I filtered it, not because I hate Josh or hate Word. Again, Word is my, Word's my best man. He still remains to be my best friend. Um, but I just wish I filtered it better to people that were all on the same page from the start. Even though I would have been more for the Word part of the game. Meaning, like, <laughs> if you had made it more... right. Uh, joking around, I wouldn't have minded that. The, the, yeah, I agree with the. But with then, Josh then you, thing. not that I didn't like Josh, but I did not enjoy that style right. of questioning everything. You know, leaving the party and you know, kind of playing for yourself kind of way. I, I didn't like that part of it. But mm -hmm. word, I was bummed out about. I wouldn't have minded if if uh, mm -hmm. Valerian had a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and it, if that would happen, it, it's instead of me finding the right players, you guys would need to find a different GM. I've never played a funny. Go have you know happy campaign. I've always played very serious campaigns, very serious campaigns that involve genocides and babies being murdered and these terrible things where there's a night where a bunch of people in the empire who were civilians get killed and all sorts of terrible things and people die and Plague, I like serious yeah. campaigns. Yeah. And yeah, and, I, and I and if you and Word and find someone else and you guys find a GM that wants to do that, it's just not the games I run. Yeah, but just saying so you know, for the future, I think there's an in between there like i don't think it would have had to have i'm not saying it had to be a comedy like turn into a comedy <laughs> but even like the most tyrannical uh leaders back in the day had court gestures and sure sure i think, I think there could have been a room for like where valerian could have instantly realized okay this guy's a goofball and i'm not yeah. gonna get mad about it he's just he's basically like a comedian mm -hmm. so even in a serious world sure. like our world we have comedians you know what i mean and yeah. i think i think maybe there could have been room for word to sort of stretch out I don't know. I missed him when he wasn't there, and I enjoyed. You're right. I think you're right. I enjoyed the serious line, and I enjoyed a little bit of the comic relief. Then we had none of that after that. It was just like it's true. Dark. Question from Tim for me: What was the most difficult thing to put together for this season? Huh. Uh, a time to meet. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> we met real late for three to four hours once a week, and it changed. And then trying to get you guys together physically. Uh, we were able to play one thing. Josh and Word are both in Maryland, and we had to get them to come over because of my, my graduation from getting my bachelor's degree. They came over, and so we could do a one encounter that could never happen again. You know what I mean? Without some real 
scheduling. Yeah, that's difficult. But I mean, in, you know, encounter wise, obviously the Hornman was difficult and the Coliseum was difficult because I did them wrong. Um, but you know, it takes a lot of effort to create some good encounters. But I think the most difficult thing for me was to learn to play a game without a map, to do encounters and things that were at least had some complexity with just words. Like the whole dungeon of Tomb of Nixilis was all words. We never met together for that. Um, so doing that was difficult for me to put together. I guess it's um, I guess it's every GM's problem to create the storyline to give your players enough control and not to hoard all the control. That's always a difficult balance. You know, it's a tightrope to walk to keep that balance. Um, but as it comes to putting a storyline together, I think it was to make sure that we concluded what was happening with um, the demons and David being here and making sure and not forcing that but letting it happen naturally which I think you guys can correct me if I'm wrong end up having a natural inclusion I didn't force you and make you go to the SCP Foundation and you need to do all this stuff like your res- all the consequences everything led to that yeah. happening I think anyway and that's there were so many times where things I planned that final encounter so long ago but I couldn't just throw it at you I had to let it naturally happen and so I think that was probably the most difficult thing to plan and make sh- happen right and to create a, creating a mystery. Creating a mystery is tough because you need to know when you reveal things to your players and when they're theorizing how to, you know, when you theorize, sometimes you theorize the right thing and then you throw it away. You're like, ah, no, no, that's probably not right. And you go on. It's hard to, like, reinforce to give you more things that, that where you can take your five theories and then when the next thing happens, you say, okay, now this theory holds more water and this theory holds less. It's difficult with any sort of mystery, which is, I think I've always run mysteries of some kind in my game and having the giant mystery and not just having exposition, which I think, may, I don't know if that was unfortunate or not, uh, part of concluding when you guys were really getting solid answers was an exposition, was when Kaiser had you guys trapped and he was telling you, hey, yo, I'm a demon. And by the way, I did my best to never use the word demon or angel. I think I may have yeah. slipped up once. But I did my best not to. I think I used like Shining Ones or Your Kind and My Kind and Children of the Author and The Firstborn of God and things like that to try to delineate. Um, But I tried to not do an exposition. And when the exposition came, I almost wanted it to be a relief. Like it had been a mystery for so long you had gotten no answers. And Kaiser was just doing poking you and poking you and poking you and the phone was exploding and the guy threw a grenade and he just kept trying to kill you in all these different ways that I was trying to make it so that when there was an exposition you were like ah oh, finally I get to see Kaiser's face metaphorically speaking he didn't have one I get to hear I get oh he is a demon oh I'm making these connect oh that lines up with all these different things but still it leaves some mystery like why do they turn into physical form why do they have to have physical form and things like that and to make that mystery not annoying, entertaining, and to have progress and have a conclusion is probably the most difficult part of any storytelling that I've ever done. You guys can tell me whether or not the mystery was satisfying and done well enough. Absolutely. Well, when you say the mystery, there was multiple Yeah, there were some mysteries that weren't solved. Why I'd say the beginning was kind of annoying or frustrating. <laughs> not annoying, frustrating. Because if you remember early in the game, we got so frustrated with it that we almost like just totally went away from it. We mm. got so frustrated with it that we got to the point of like, who even cares anymore? Let's not even talk about it. And uh, almost completely just ignored the whole, who cares who the man was. When I hear that, I try to like, oh, now it's time to throw him another bone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think in a way, if you're going to um, 
have such an impactful character like that. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like the man in white. It was like almost like just like a tad too much okay. mystery to it to the point of like, well, then if we can't figure it anything out, why would we listen to Okay. It becomes like pointless in a way. Right. Because I remember, if you remember, we almost had like a whole session of just talking about what we thought. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's good. I thank you for that advice because I'm going to continue to do mysteries and I need the help with that. And I don't know, maybe that wasn't elegant where the man in white, there was a point where like he just kind of stopped because he even said, you'll never see me again. And you didn't until the final episode when he suddenly said, hey, by the way, I'm an angel, right? You know what I mean? And maybe you could have put that together after you heard about demons and that you realized that they were demons. Maybe, I don't know, there wasn't like, you wouldn't even think about the man in white anymore. It didn't matter, right? Right. So maybe maybe the man in white mystery wasn't conclusion. There was one that on purpose I didn't have a conclusion, which was the arc that the the Anubicon was making. Yeah, that, and that was only, that was because yeah. two reasons. One, because it will have a, a place later. But two, you just didn't pursue it. Not that you never thought about it. There was times you brought it up and tried to ponder on it. But when it came to your actions, you pursued other things, and it was the whole part of the GM not trying to force you into something and saying you need to figure this out. Oh. And even like when you got the staff from the other staff from the bottom of Tomb of Omnixilis, and it was like similar to Nubricon staff, if you had taken that out and maybe try to get somebody to try to figure out more about it, you would have learned more about things like that. But you didn't you didn't get the staff out for whatever reason and you didn't pursue it. So I didn't want to force it down your throat. So it's like, okay, that's a mystery that I will I'll give the listeners satisfaction later on. There's gonna be a conclusion in a further season, but it's just not gonna happen this season. And then another I wouldn't even know how you would go about doing this, but just from the player point of view, I think the other thing was that you'd have to have some way of, of sort of dangling a carrot, where I think in the sense of we stopped or didn't even start chasing things down like that because we, I think we, early on we maybe got this feeling like it wouldn't help us. Hmm. You get what I'm trying to say? Okay. So, if, like I said, it, sometimes it would leave us with this aimless kind of like, who even cares who the man was? Even if we knew who he was, what would that really change about what we're doing? I remember we actually had that conversation at one point. So maybe a way to uh, mm-hmm. intrigue is to sort True. of have some sort of like breadcrumb idea that, hey, if you figure this out, it will have okay uh, some sort of positive benefit. Like there would be a point to it. You know what I mean? All right. I think we you. became kind of like nihilist halfway through the game. <laughs> just like. Whatever comes in front of us, we'll do. Who cares? We didn't know right. who we were working for or why, or we didn't really see a point to figuring it out. Okay. At least that's how I felt for a little bit. And 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 honestly, I think that's one of the drawbacks of the shortened sessions, is we had to try to cram in so much in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I don't. I think Caleb did a really good job with with the time that he had. And the time that we had with him. So that's, that's just my two cents. What am I, no, no, dead? I mean, don't get me the wrong. The time that we intriguing. had with him was great. Yeah, <laughs> don't get me wrong. The whole the whole construct was very intriguing. And for mm-hmm. a while, it was like our obsession was trying to figure out right. what was going on. I guess what I'm saying is, if you saw us getting to the point where we were so like quickly devolving right. into like Nile should have done something. You, you could have done something to say, sure. hey, here's another purpose to figuring out what the man in white is besides mm-hmm. the original uh, that's all I'm saying. But no, I mean, yeah. the whole thing was a great story, and it was intriguing. My favorite moment of a mystery that got solved after so much debate was that you just asked. And it was the manifest that you found in Lich's Castle of empire, em- empirical, uh, empirical, imperial citizens and imperial people that lived there. Their bodies were being shipped to the Lich. And then when you saw that mystery, you literally just asked Valerian. 
They're like, what is this? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's our agreement. We ship him bodies. He lets us have the dragons. My dad made that deal. <laughs> it was like all this talking. It was like, oh, we just had to ask, which isn't always, of course, that's very rarely the solution, but it was funny. That was one of the ones that it solved. But even asking. that didn't exactly answer why. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know what I mean? He just It just showed us that Valerian knew about yeah. it. But right. old, old, old trade agreement on the books. It's yeah. just been there for 20 years. Right, right. <laughs> it still no leaves a very perplexing there. question of what does he want? Right. Dead body, you know, Which I guarantee there's there's pretty much an, I guess I'll just give the answer now shallowly. He needed those bodies to help build that arch. He used them okay. as people. He couldn't just use random skeletons and zombies because they're not strong enough. So he got people and he kind of gave them souls that the Kako demons would take to enough to make them cognizant enough to help build this thing. Mm. Gotcha. Because uh, he like I can't just I need I need good stone work I don't need layman stone work so I need I need to find somewhere here an old dead stone smith that can help me out do this oh but so you you did enjoy the the storyline and I think as you said and I appreciate that that's awesome I'm happy to hear that that's what I want out of this is to make something that's enjoyable I'm making an entertainment product here even not just for you guys but for the listeners and to have at I think there was points where when you finally were like getting back on track to going and killing the SCPs. You were like, I remember David even said out loud, like, this feels right now. Not no more of this Orokusaki stuff, no more with the North. We're just shooting guns and killing demons. That feels right again. And I, and I think that was kind of overarching. You could kind of almost say that that was God, the fictional God that I had to play. His kind of thing was, he'll give you that sense of right because that's what he had sent you here to do. You kind of got distracted with this other stuff but that was your purpose. And when you finally realigned back in that purpose, you felt that sense of, ah, satisfaction. This is a question asked by a ton of people. How did Setsuko and Valerian show up and know about the blood in the final mm -hmm. episode? You guys even asked that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the answer I said, I think, in the first Q&A is on the wiki. But I'm just going to read it because it's very short. And I think it works out well. So for Setsuko... A short time into her reign, the man in white appeared to her, this time not in a dream, but in reality. Afraid, she tried to have her guard protect her, but it was useless, and the man continued walking through them as if a ghost. He held her hand. Out of shock, she let him, and he looked deep into her eyes. His eye conveyed true concern for her. He told her, Repent and believe, and you will be saved. Refuse now, and have your heart forever hardened by him whose actions cannot be undone. You will be denied another opportunity. She remained silent, first out of confusion, but then out of conscious refusal. The man looked as if he could cry at any moment, but he did not. Instead, he dropped her hand, turned his back to her, began walking away, and said, David is going to have an opportunity to return home. If you wish to keep your rule, you will go now, without delay, to the SCP Foundation and fight all that you find there as soon as you lay eyes on it. Refuse, and your kingdom will be taken from you. Confused, mm. Suko shouted out to him, He survived? How? Where is he now? The man in the white suit did not respond, turned the corner, and was seen no more. She considered his words, and out of fear that his prophecy would come true, gathered some Formians with her and set out at once for the SCP Foundation. She was afraid. At the Foundation, she obeyed the Prophet's words and fought all she and her Formians could get their hands on. When David had returned to his world and the Destroyer arrived, she heard a voice as clear as if it was spoken in her head, saying, Do as Valerian does to evade my wrath. She watched as Valerian took a container of blood, dipped his fingers in, and spread it across his head and cheeks. She ran over all of her Formians slain and did the same. 
in the end, everyone's gone except her, the man who war- she warred with, the man she left for dead, and the lich who told her the next time he saw her, he would kill her. Again, Suko was afraid. For Valerian, a familiar face greeted Valerian, the prophet. Valerian had his guards hold him, and he demanded to know how he got into his private chambers. The prophet offered no explanation, the prophet being the man in white, stepped ethereal-like through the blades holding him back, which should have been impossible since the weapons of Valerian's Praetorian guard had the ghost touch ability on them, and delivered his message saying, if you leave now with no restraint or delay and get to David and help him, he and all who came from his world with him will return before the sun crosses the horizon. David is marked with blood that Thorne has in his possession. Mark yourself as he does or you will perish along with the creatures you had feared so much. The prophet turned and left the room, not waiting for Valerian's reply. Valerian obeyed, knowing that the prophet had proved himself to be true each time before. And of course, Valerian did it. So that's how they knew. The more you know. The man <laughs> in white had one last little interaction in that world before he came back with David. Speaking of coming back with David, uh, one of my listeners, uh, way back, maybe halfway through the season, said, I wonder if this is all in David's head. And that motorcycle accident, he was in the hospital, and things that were coming on in TV and in the radio and around him were influencing what's happening in the game. And so I threw him a little bone. When David's wake up in the hospital, he hears uh, Jefferson Airplane, Somebody to Love, the song that the helicopter played, going through the radio. And it was just a little moment to get my listener to think, oh, I was right when the conclusion showed that he wasn't right, that it, David wasn't, wasn't just on his mind. First off, that is the lamest excuse ever. Anyone who's ever had a story where that's happened, you always feel like this. Your your stomach drops. You're like your heart drops. You're like, well, that was lame. Everything that happened had no consequence. And so I would never do that to any of my listeners or any of my my players ever. I think it's a stupid way to tell a story, in my humble opinion. So I was never going to do that. But I like the idea, the little the little twang of maybe, ha ha, maybe maybe. It was a good thought, listener. But it it, it just that wasn't the way it happened. Um, as you can see what happened the rest of it Kaiser was there the man in white was there he spoke to him David's arm was shriveled it all happened as if it had really happened but uh, I like that idea and that's kind of a fun maybe in a short story you can have that but I think in a big thing like this that's that's unsatisfying in the end which is a question to you guys from me was that satisfying end ending things is so difficult were you satisfied yes and no yes it was satisfying as in the sense that it all wrapped up and made sense and sort of came together well, you know, having a uh, sort of end battle, you know, boss battle style thing I thought was great. And to have to, like, fight everything at once and sort of have all these uh, characters come full circle and all, you know, kind of show their face at an epic battle. is a, You know, it's a great way to finish something. I, I think what wasn't satisfying was, and this was my own... I played myself into a corner with this was um again i kind of wanted to uh have to quest it out and figure out a way back and not Mm. have it sort of drop in my lap um and given to me like that like i i definitely was was trying to head to a point of moving away from the orokusaki story and back to the like how do i get home Mm. and so it would have been in my like i would have found it more satisfying if we had then headed back on the road and had to like quest to find a way okay. home so the only thing at all that was at all unsatisfying was just kind of like you're gonna go here do this and then you know doc brown is gonna mm-hmm. take you home and i didn't have to figure it out i didn't have to find okay. a way home you know oh, what i mean yes i do but other than that but i kind of did that to myself I, I feel like the whole north orokusaki thing sort of 
sent it in a different trajectory. And I was trying to get back to before that, mm-hmm. to the pure uh, questing thing. But but the battle itself, I thought, was awesome. I mean, if that was a great ending, that sort of Valerian having to help me <laughs> leave and all that stuff. And you know what? We've talked a lot about how things went differently because David went to be a Rokusaki. I don't know how you feel, but I'm happy. That, I'm I'm very happy that went that way. I thought there was a lot of cool things that happened. As much as you kind of did divert from the main storyline, it still had involved in there because the storyline was following you. Kaiser was still trying to kill you, and he was following you everywhere you went. It was just that instead of you pursuing him, he was now pursuing you. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed that. Do you regret doing the the whole Rokusaki thing? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, there, it was definitely fun in its own way. Right. But I guess what I I don't regret it, but what what you what you were saying was satisfying it would have been satisfying if i wish it hadn't have been all the way to the end meaning i wish i could have went back away from it and sure. then you know had it spur off to a different ending that's right. all it was just that gotcha. i never got to escape it sure. until the i went right from Rokusaki to back home mm-hmm. and i was trying it to find a way to to push another like all, but I guess that would have pushed us into like another three months of gaming. Right. I wanted to try to push another chapter in between. I guess is the way. Gotcha, to put it. gotcha. Like one more phase. I wanted one more phase of the game before the end. Yeah. It, it, like it David was... the Outlaw hated in both <laughs> worlds, both North and South. It, it, it. I think it was very much that page master there and back again kind of, kind of story, where I mean you you get right to the end there and. You have the page master saying, hey, I was with you the whole time. I saw you there. Let's get you home kind of thing. So that, that that's how that resonated with me, for David at least. I, 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 I like the ending. Mm-hmm. I especially like the ending for Thorin because he was trying to, to twist the political situation to his benefit the whole time, and now he's in a he's in a war. He's, he, he's scheduled to be in a world of hurt from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it just, it, I, I like the way it ended, um, for Thorne at least. I'm surprised to hear that because one of the things I thought was like a casualty of war, a casualty of the story was that Thorne didn't get a, a big ending, a big conclusion in his story because I just couldn't do it. Like the, he, he wasn't start to finish. David was, his story was a, an arc that had to finish. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Thorne's thing, I felt like almost like I did you injustice. I didn't know how to solve the problem except for that in a future season, it, things will happen with Thorin, but I didn't find a way in this season to give him a satisfying ending. But I'm surprised to hear that you you were satisfied with his ending. Well, I mean, you kind of described it a little bit. I'm sitting in a field with Valerian, Zitsuko, uh, um, and and Anubrakan, and all four of us are just kind of staring at each other, standing there. What now? Because in in theory, so I mean. It, it's like having the man you know, we it, all love is gone. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, Thorne. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Thaddeus is dead. You're right. <laughs> um, it's like having Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Winston Churchill, and Theodore and uh, Franklin Roosevelt all standing in a field together, right before, uh, right on the eve of World War II. I mean, it, it, it's it's like a mm-hmm. perfect storm of what if could whatever could happen could happen. Um. Be, I mean, and again, are are they all going to fight each other? Are they going to conclude a peace? Are they going to conclude a, a very uneasy uh, peace? Because now, I mean, again, I, I'm a political science guy. I, that's what I lived and breathed for college. The the North feels itself now. It it's, has stood up to the Empire. Hmm. 
and and has the possibility of waging a long, if not guerrilla war against the Empire that, that's going to cost the Empire another decade or two of war. I, I don't think Valerian wants that. He just, on, on the eve of coming to peace with the with the uh, orcs, does, does he re- I mean, do the, does the, do, do the citizens of the Empire have it in them for another ten years hmm. of armed conflict across their border, especially with an enemy who has struck right at home, right in the capital. It's, it's like uh, right after Pearl Harbor, what what did the United States do? We bombed Tokyo. We, we we showed the Japanese you're not untouchable. And so this and the, the North same, is more like nine eleven, not Pearl Harbor. I mean the oh, North no, oh, is more I, like terrorism is more like their well then sort of strategy. Well then let's use that. How did we feel after nine eleven? I think a lot of us can remember that 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 feeling of, oh my gosh, we were just attacked. We're not invincible. We can be attacked, and this, and the citizens of the empire feel that too. I think. Hmm. Yeah, so but Valerian's a master of using it to galvanize them. Oh, of course, absolutely. I'm, I'm not Which doubting Valerian. happened ability. in 9/11. Yeah, but, uh, I'm I'm saying that. Well, but <laughs> look, ten years back now. I mean, for us as a, as a country, how much money of how much money, treasure, and blood have we spilled in 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 the after years of 9/11? That that's the decision Valerian's facing now. Mm. How much treasure and blood, and 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 now and now it has to be blood. Because if only he had his otherworldly advisor who has been through a situation similar. <laughs> um, and, and he doesn't have the factories anymore; they're gone. Mm. So the clockwork he has, he has. I think that alleviates some fatigue. Is that the last part of the war with the orcs? Men weren't. There wasn't a lot of men fighting. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the men have been fighting for twenty years. It's like oh, yeah. they twenty years. It's like they had a break. Yeah, I think that's something to his to the credit of their resolve and fatigue. Absolutely, but I'm, but they're I, gonna I, have to fight again because yeah. so, there's there's a limited see? number of clockwork in existence right now. There's no more <laughs> refill. Mm-hmm. And and so and the and the man who made the the factories is dead. And where were all yeah. the blueprints in the factories? And then his successor, which was hard and rare to find, uh, not Friedrich Jan, that was the first guy. Um, Yi Chu Chong also is dead. Who does he have to help him and mm. have the mind to rebuild these factories? And 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 there was it's not going to happen overnight. You you remember the letter I wanted to send? You told me no, you can't send it as Thorin. Mm. I was going to write a letter uh, to to the dwarves of the Southern Trade Guilds. I'm not a- not asking them to enter into the conflict, but but that would be great. But even just to withhold some resources from the Empire. And right? also, I think part of that was you just wanted them to know the truth because you knew the Empire yeah. was going to. Gonna twist it, yeah. twist everything, and so it. But you did. It, it's it, it's a perfect. They attacked us without provocation. I wasn't trying to subtly take over their empire. Um, it, it it's it's very much a, a perfect storm scenario of, for the first time in what, ten fifteen years, the empire finds itself beset by a lot of issues. A Nubricon's back. There's a North that feels its own strength and and is refusing to buckle under. Um, if the Dwarven Trade Guilds decide all of a sudden, you know, we don't like you very much, what's the Empire going to do? The, you, I mean, you and I have had this discussion, Caleb. The Empire can't just up and attack the Dwarven Trade Guilds. Mm. They're deep mountain passages. It just and, you know, it, The so, most fortified peoples on the planet. Yeah. It'd probably so, be easier to find a way to kill the underwater city of Atlantis to, mm-hmm. than to go into the thousands and millions of choke points that are inside of the mountain of where all the dwarves are. Yeah. The mountains. 
Yeah. And, and so... Don't uh, care I'm about s- your numbers when you can only get through a door one at a time. Yeah. And so I'm satisfied. I, <laughs> In the immediate political future of Thorne, he could very well die in the next five minutes. And But I, I, his political goal for the North and the Empire has been met. I think that uh, that North feels itself. It won't just buckle under. And the Empire is incapable of ending this war quickly. That That's all he... I mean, he Thorin knew if he could drag it out. If, if he could drag out the fight. If, mm-hmm. if, if the war wasn't concluded within the first year, there's a chance. And I think part of also what David was saying, I don't remember when you told me this, but you were like, I kind of gave them their independence. I know that sounds kind of cheesy. Americans are all about everybody having their independence. But the idea that they weren't led by one man who could be a madman, that they mm-hmm. now had a voice in their own future, yeah, was the, the, part of what yeah. you wanted to accomplish. And in a way, you did. They now have an Orokusaki, but they have that... Like Setsuko is the Orokusaki now, but they now have that that council that you set up. It can't be disbanded because the Rokusaki set it up. I mean, I guess she could, she's not going to disband it. It's there. It's there now. And so the, just the, the political part about it I love. I'm, so, I'm completely satisfied politically with how things are resting. Mass chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really my idea with the, with the strategy of what I was doing with that counterattack. Well, what was supposed to be a counterattack, and the guys jumped the gun a little bit, was not the idea that I was trying to dishearten the citizens or scare the citizens, because we had already seen that Valerian can spin things, and he, he's going to use, you know, uh, all that kind of propaganda. But we thought over time maybe we could dishearten the citizens, but really the concept was what you just said was to show Valerian that the North could hurt him more than maybe he thought they could and two to show the north that they could uh you know be an independent people and that was kind of the whole point of having the committee decide to even do it or not do it Mm -hmm. and i don't know if we talked about it in game but i was not going to even though as the orokusaki i could have just vetoed anything they said anyway the whole point was whatever that committee voted, that's what we were going to do. If they had voted to just bow down to the Empire, we would have done it. Well, And, and it's interesting because pre-David, I mean, if Valerian had decided on a whim, okay, take all of our spare troops, everyone, get, get everyone that's not fighting on another front, and march them right to Antioch. I mean, the North had no standing army. There, it, there, there really wasn't a, a backup plan. There was just the Lin Kuei would have fallen back to the shadows and it they it, actually the Rokusaki had a plan and if he wasn't a madman he could have had a super weapon to mm-hmm. fight the empire yeah. with but instead he fought the entire world with it yeah right he tried to and he, he tried to suck them in he tried to kill the world with a, a blanket of silent snow and mm-hmm. hurricane storms everywhere until the world was covered and frozen and destroyed and everything if he was not a madman he could have yeah. used that against the empire yeah and by the and Dom part of what you're saying in my mind would be Valerian's biggest mistake mm-hmm. and that's why early on I had considered the whole mana card yeah. because I think taking the whole army and coming straight on would be the only way the north could win it was it would be kind of like a, a Napoleon into Russia because all we would have to do is keep retreating further back. So then you abandon the city and you bring them deep into that world mm-hmm. where everything's alive well, into I mean, the forest into right. the yeah. and, and then once you have them in, 
you kind of flank it, you cut off supplies to the army, and you just sort of, you know, ping pong, take them out a little bit here, a little bit there. I think that would be the biggest mistake he could have yeah. made. Is I'm just going to march every guy I have deep into your land. Mm. I was almost counting. If I had stayed in the game and, and actually conducted a war, that was my whole point with taking Mana. It was like, let's take Mana and just he'll just go, he'll come right at us with everything he mm -hmm. has. And, and I think that's the only way the North could win. Yeah. And if that's. Fought intelligently, you couldn't beat him. Yeah. That, that's, that's the strength of the North, though, because the, the very land itself is against you. Right. And so. Um, you remember what Rothred said after you all declared to go war? He just like yeah. left without talking. They're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm gonna go wake the planet up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's and what I kept thinking. Like, if we abandon Antioch, take yeah. every scrap of food, everything out of there, and just let them just keep coming deeper and deeper, mm -hmm. you could we could have destroyed we could destroy the whole army. And 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 to to Thorin's credit, not killing Setsuko early on. Again, now the North has a standing army of Formians, Wervians, and and all sorts of humans and trees and people. Um, lots of little vampire babies running around. <laughs> and like and throw babies. Um, it, it, it's just, I mean, it, it, again, it, like I said, if, if the war could get dragged out, the North it's, it's set up to only get stronger in time as, as time goes on. If, unless Valerian finds a way to beat the North within the first like, year or two, I don't really think Valerian... I mean, there's how... I don't understand how Valerian... He, he can't conduct the war the same way his father did against the Giants or he did against the Orcs. It's not a brute force kind of thing. And, and, and again, we saw him, how he deals with some of his problems with Alex landing with those super troops and just slaughtering everyone. I, I, it, it, it'll be interesting to listen to the next season and see what happens. He, but but Valerian must have knew that to some point because trying to do the whole plague hero thing and the whole getting <laughs> me to hand over the leadership and like yeah. convince obviously he knew okay maybe just marching an army straight into here isn't going to be mm -hmm. the best way to go about this so clearly he was trying to do it in a way that was less uh, confrontational so obviously he knew something was difficult about the north and he would know that because when you think about it his clockworks and the factories were from the north was the thinking of the north so maybe yeah. he did think okay these people are somewhat formidable because they're the ones designing you know mm. his strongest mm -hmm. pieces of his army came from you know the north so obviously he knew that they were something to be dealt with that's yeah. actually a little a little caveat two things one thing that Dom said the more time goes on the stronger the, the north becomes well, also, right now, the weakness of the Empire is that they don't have factories. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a very long time since they've lost everyone who knows about clockwork. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of time, he can rebuild them. In theory, It'll yeah. take a long time. So if, there, if a time goes on, then he gets those back up again. Infinite supply again. Mm -hmm. um, depending, he still gets supplies from the dwarves and all that. But um, the other thing I was going to say right there is actually the first guy who started clockwork and, and, and started and made the soldiers in the factory and, and the couple factories that existed um, was not a northerner. Uh, Friedrich, Friedrich Jan was the guy. Yi Su Chong, though he was from the north, he, uh, he inherited all that stuff. He had, he had the mind to continue it and actually made things that were better and more complex than Jan ever did. Because mm -hmm. he, he, did, he, he did get to stand on the shoulder of a giant. But I don't think that it's just... I wouldn't call the clockwork the creation of the North. Well, speaking of Season 2, 
Everyone's asking, what, what do we expect in Season 2? And I'm going to tell you something. Here's what we can expect in Season 2. Something completely different. <laughs> it is going to be... It's going to have cyberpunk elements to it. Nice. So it's going to take place in a different place. But things are still going to be connected. And there will still be what happened here will be felt in the Season 2. And things will happen there that will affect it. But it's actually going to be a different place. Same world, different place, all right? And we're not in it. Nope, nope, Nope. you're gone. Um, It's just going to be Josh and me. Um, (laughs) But it's it's, it's, it's going to be like how this kind of took place in Antioch. It's going to take place in a different place. A little cyberpunk theme in there. It's still Pathfinder, which is not cyberpunk. So a lot of fantasy things, but it still doesn't have cyberpunk things in it. Brand new players. And the and uh, the first episode is going to come out November first of two thousand sixteen. Nice. So There's gonna be a little break now. We're gonna have to get things settled and get things ready. And then the first episode is gonna come out November first. So same same time period, different time period. So it, it, is it happening alongside the events of season one or? Oh no no it's it's continued. post yeah it's post, post, post what you okay. guys did. Okay. All right. Post what you guys did. The consequences will absolutely be felt and talked about and seen, uh, but it's still going to be a different place with uh, three players. But I wanted to make it so that if you had not listened to Trailblazer Season 1, you could just pick this up and there wouldn't be any confusion at all, much in the way that you guys picked up a world that already existed, but you didn't need to have to play those literally like 300 hours worth of gameplay that built that world. You'll catch a lot of extra stuff, and there's some stuff that you would, like, understand, but is by no means a prerequisite to listen to 100 hours worth of content just so you can listen to another campaign. It's it's different. It's its own thing. But by no means am I throwing away what you have done. It is, it is its own thing, but it is a part of the greater story arc. I'm not settled on this, but it may this may change into a bi-weekly format. I want it to be weekly because if it's bi-weekly instead of like, – it took us one year to get through season one. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to take two years to get through season two. But it is just so taxing on me to get that recorded and then edited out every week. So it may go to a bi-weekly thing, but that's not settled yet. All right? That's going to be season two. Uh, one last question I want to talk about. I like to put it at the end because I don't think everyone's going to care about it. And that is what is this process that makes it so difficult you want to go bi- bi-weekly? What is the recording and editing process like? Uh, a, you shoot yourself because it's so difficult to get three people or four people scheduled all together. So you just want to kill yourself so you don't have to deal with that. You get four people scheduled together. Uh, we could meet for three hours and we kind of had a four-hour limit. Like if we ever hit four hours, like if we had to for whatever reason, like that was – there's no more than four hours. I used to play eight-hour sessions and that's like – you get a lot done. But that's – we have three-hour sessions uh, once a week with breaks if something has to like happen. We try to reschedule, but generally it doesn't work. If somebody can't make the, that date that one week, we usually skip. Uh, like There was even a time where we all were so booked for the summer, we just skipped all the summer. But you guys didn't see because we started releasing episodes where we had enough in back catalog. Uh, but you get everyone together. You record or record it on Audacity. Each of us has a microphone. It took me forever to get them to get decent microphones, but I would even call David's decent, but he got one. Um, that wasn't connected <laughs> to his laptop. Uh, I have got a condenser microphone. Um and I use Audacity to record it. Afterwards, I record it. Uh, I, I go back through it, and I listen to it. I edit out all the um, uh, pauses. Uh, if there's a battle, it takes so much editing because there's so much time in between what people decide to do and the roles. I just edit it out to where the original is. All right, what are you going to do? Mm, I think I'm going to use my sword tech on it. That's plus three. Okay, roll. 17 is a hit. Uh, where's his AC? Yep, yep, that's a hit. And when I edit that to, I'm going to attack with my swords. 17, hit. 
So there's a lot I have to edit out for that. And then I add we're music. We're done doing the math. Yes, we're done doing the math. I hate math. I can't tell you how many times I told him just give me the final number. Here, how much I'm going to edit that out. Anyway, uh, and then I added music and sound effects. And then, so I end up having, so say a three-hour episode, three hours to, to record it. And then it takes about six hours to go through it and edit it and get it all set. So I end up for what takes three hours. It's three times as long to get it out to you guys. It's three hours. I'm spending nine. So that's how it, that's what it takes for editing. And then I just publish it on the thing called Podbean. I create an MP3 file, put it on Podbean, and scheduled it for every Thursday. And that's how that's how the recording goes. Quick plug. Use then use Hero Lab. Don't use live uh, <laughs> dice. Because the Hero Lab will factor in everything you have clicked and then when you roll it will give you mm-hmm. the roll and you don't have to do any math and you <laughs> don't have to remember what is plus and minusing yeah. uh, you, as long as you have everything clicked right and you hit roll it gives you, you just gives you all you do is you have your answer so so Hero Lab uh, is as a, a first time player I used Hero Lab and without it I don't think I would have done it program not provided by Paizo but works closely with Paizo that all your character sheet all the math everything is done on a program I use it uh, I make sure my players can use it and uh, uh, we're not sponsored by them at all we're just letting you know it's what we use and it worked very well that's right we don't have to get paid to say something was good <laughs> the hero lab worked though well I did pay everybody did. here before we did the Q&A to say favorable things about the campaign because <laughs> I thought it left out a lot of that oh crap uh, I lost I, I dropped my 200, $200. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I paid you uh, thank you too for being the pioneers for season one, being our first players uh, with us from the very start. We gained some, lost some, but you guys were start to finish. I really enjoyed playing with you guys as much as you guys had your individual frustrations. I'm sure I had my individual frustrations that bothered you, um, but I had a fun time playing with you guys. Thank you to all the listeners for following through us, whether you started halfway through or from the beginning. There was a lot of content to digest. I talked about, uh, I think, in the finale, like Game of Thrones has less content than we provided it in one year and they they only do a certain thing like every spring or something i forget what it is uh we provide more hour raw content than that so it's a lot of content you guys listen to it and we're we're so happy that you guys liked it even if you only like parts of it i want to thank you for listening and stay tuned for season two coming november 1st it's a very different campaign but i think you'll like it and it'll have three players hopefully that'll be stable throughout the whole thing i've done i've been more meticulous about who i'm choosing uh david don say bye for the last time Bye for the last time. See you guys.